0: What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Clocks on the Stove. Usual hosts, myself, Grayson Fisher, Roland Big Meech Forrester, and we today's guest. We got Zach Watts hopping on. Boston Red Sox, new pa- pa- New England Patriots fan. Maybe some current controversy today. Maybe not. Let's just dive on into oh it. God. So, um, I saw this on on a Twitter, and I thought it, it doesn't really have to do too much with like anything we're gonna talk about. I just think it's kind of funny to to bring up. It's a uh, NFL commissioner Roger Goodell made nearly $128 million via salary, bonuses, and benefits over past two fiscal years. That's said by the New York Times. Just it's funny going on with all the stuff right now with the Gruden and the Washington football team and all this stuff. And like how the past couple podcasts we're talking about how it's all drive about money, drive about money. And then you just, you see a number like this and it's like, phew. it's it's actually
1: insane how much money this man is making. Yeah, not only that, I mean, I was looking into it because uh, you want to make the NFL the biggest cash cow you can if you're the owner of it, obviously. So looking at that, wouldn't you try to view like different streaming options? I mean, um, we got one interview or we had one person say that they like different like camera angles for games. Well, if you look into it, like Skycam and Spidercam footage where like you get different sideline views of the game only costs. Uh, The NFL annually, like 5 to $10 million is set up. So, I mean, if you want to get more out of your cash cow, you should probably put more into it. Um, And then outside streaming, still have lack of proper officiating, got unbalanced overtime rules still. And then uh, the replay system still flawed. We don't have enough uh, camera angles to cover everything. So, I mean, there's a lot of things he could probably be doing with his money. But, I mean, it was interesting to see that he's raking in that much at the end of the day.
2: And who knows? How much did you expect? For him to make, I mean, oh, yeah. I thought it would be at least, you know, I mean, 128 million is kind of insane, but, you know, I thought he, he was making at least a hundred million dollars. You know yeah. what I mean? He's the yeah. commissioner of the NFL. He's got other, did they say that was his salary just from NFL uh, money? It
0: said, it's all it said was salary bonuses and benefits. So I'm yeah, So
2: those bonuses could be, you know, whatever sponsors he has or whatever, you know, his, side money, but
0: yeah. And I bet there is some, I bet there is some money also he makes on top of that through like endorsements and stuff that's not added in there also. I know
2: exactly. Just- well, I don't think anyone's endorsing Roger Goodell. Everyone hates him, but
0: it's like a commercial or something, you know, they got to pay him revenue for that.
2: You ever seen a commercial with Roger Goodell in it?
0: I stand corrected.
2: Yeah. What company would pay him? But yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a $2 billion company, probably more now. And what would you expect the CEO to make? You know what I mean? So,
0: I said, no, yeah, I just like I said, I didn't, I wasn't like anything that was like, whoa. It was just like it's kind of cool to see. You know, like it was cool to see how much money they actually yeah. money was making. Yeah, from that, We got Calvin Ridley steps away from football. Um, we don't know his return table. Obviously, the Falcons. I not say something.
2: steps away from football, but phew, sorry. Go Very
0: good. So um, it's to focus on his mental well-being. He said uh, he didn't play in the last game. He was actually not having a terrible year. He had a lot of hype. Um, yeah, I don't know if you guys want to elaborate on that. It's just I don't think they don't think he's coming back this season for sure.
1: It's it's kind of complicated because um, when it comes like as a professional athlete, I feel like the money you're paid, you're expected to be on the field um, barring an injury um now we've kind of shifted to where like we've noticed more athletes take uh precautions and steps away to protect their mental health and that's not a knock on them at all uh obviously um we're all humans at the end of the day we all go through our individual problems but um it's hard to really talk about situations like this because at at some point you want to know like what's hindering them so you could possibly help in any way you can um from an organization's perspective but like you can't really find that out without without revealing a lot of details to the public. And I think the biggest thing for these players is um, you want to let them just have their privacy and take the time they need so they can get back to playing the best of their ability. But at the same time, like how, like in the future, are you going to sign players with known mental issues? Like, are you going to want to take in guys that um, are going to need some time off or like might not even be mentally have the mental capacity to play weekend and week out? Like that's just, that's just a part that we don't know right now. And as it becomes a more prevalent issue, um, you know, I think we'll start to see more contracts that invoke mental health issues that talk about like, all right, like it's fine if you take the time off, but are they going to put a cap on it? Can they even like, who's to say how long and how severe these um, I wouldn't really call them injuries, but it kind of is like, it's a, it takes them to the sideline. It takes them out of playing the game. So it obviously has effect on not only themselves, but the teams they uh, wear the Jersey for.
0: Yeah, and also on top of that, like you were saying, um, you got a guy like Calvin Ridley and he's going through some stuff and he doesn't want people to know about it. Like that's really hard to go to practice every day, go to the games, go to pre post practice interviews, locker room interviews, media, ESPN, all that. And then having to to, to do this fake face because you don't want people to know there's an issue. And then when you then, then when you come out to this organization, like look, I know I wasn't showing you there's an issue because I didn't want anyone to know about it, but there's an issue. Then you find out there's an issue. So, what you want to do is you want to give this guy his own time, let him be by himself, let him sit. But now, media is just up his ass and they want to know the issue. They want to know more. They want to know more. They want to know more, which is going to kind of, which it's kind of going to, I don't, I don't know where I'm going with this, but like what I'm trying to say is like it's, it kind of defeats the purpose. Calvin Ridley has some stuff going on. He needs to be by himself. He needs to be left alone. But the opposite is happening. And they're just drilling him. The media wants to know. Everyone wants to know what's going on with Calvin Ridley, what's going on with Calvin Ridley. And it's like that kind of defeats the whole purpose of him needing to take time off, you know, it's like, is he even going to get fully better? Or is he going to rush it because they're, they're forcing him? You know, I don't really know what's going on, but I'm just saying that that's my personal opinion on it. It's just funny. Like you're saying, like he went to them telling them, I don't want to give you too much information. i need my time. And now everyone wants to get all the information, you know?
2: Yeah. Who knows what he's going on? Maybe he's the drug addict or, you know, who knows, but, uh, Yeah, it's kind of like, let's say he is a drug addict. I'm not saying he is, but maybe it's something like that. And, you know, it's kind of hard to, like, come out and say, look, I need to put my football career on hold. And, you know, it's like if you need the help, you have to go get the help. But, um, I mean, same thing with, I know we'll probably get to him later, but uh, Henry Ruggs, you know, maybe he had a problem with alcohol or drugs. And, you know, he didn't want to say anything because he's young. He's got a million-dollar career, and, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to feel bad for these guys that they're millionaires and they're pro athletes, and, you know, to say they drink too much or – but, you know, you never know what's going on in someone's head, and shit's serious, so,
0: yeah, you know, I- that should
2: be prevented, but it's still stigmatized, and you don't want that coming out in the media that, oh, Henry Ruggs is an alcoholic, he's going to rehab in week four. You know, he's quitting on the team, but.
0: Yeah, too, and like what Zach was saying, like, you know, now that the mental health uh, is becoming such a more well-known and well-accepted thing amongst amongst males, it's like you're going to get guys that are like, you know, I have a mental issue now and I want to commit to this team, but I'm scared that they're going to change my contract for it or I'm scared they're going to put all this money on me and then bang it over my head. Am I going to have to play knowing I have issues going on? Like, there's so many factors that go, get involved with it, too. You know, I feel like especially when it's – when it's a non-physical injury, because when you tear your ACL, it doesn't matter. The team's not going to make the play; they can't make the play. Your ACL's right. play it. But if you have a psychological issue that, and you're a grown adult like like uh, Calvin really is, you know and he's played at the highest level at Alabama, he's playing the highest level in the NFL, and you acknowledge, look, there's something so serious in my mental problem that I know I can't perform at what you need me to perform at. You got to give me some break. It's like, all right, yeah, the Falcons are cool with it, but what if someone else on another team has the same issue and they're not cool with it? You know, that's There's so many things that it's, this is a a recent thing that just started that we're still in the learning stages of how professional athletes and organizations are going to handle it. I feel like,
2: but it's, I mean, it's new as to success. Society is like looking at it, but people have always had mental illness since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just more prevalent because of how we live and, you know, we have smartphones, we're all addicted to our phones and, fast paced society. And it's just, uh, it's a different time that we're living in. and
0: And regardless of my opinion on what I'm about to say, it is factual. I believe that the Simone Biles case is what really got athletes like, all right, I'm not, I'm not the only one out there, you know? And like I said, I'm not saying I agree with what she did. I'm not saying I disagree with what she did. My opinion on it is, is irrelevant. I'm just saying what she did definitely opened up the door for a lot more people to be comfortable admitting they have a problem that needs to be fixed. I think we can all agree on that.
1: Yeah. And I think that was a big thing too, is she pretty much opened the door for everyone to kind of be able to discuss having mental issues while being an athlete. I mean, she's regarded as one of the best at what she does. and, And some people had ridicule and some people had the utmost support for her. And either way, I think, I think these athletes are doing what's best for them at the end of the day, regardless of what people thinks. I mean, I know as a fan, you might be angry about, it, or you might not be the happiest about them stepping away depending on what time it'd be. I mean, these people can take a step away during week one or the preseason, or they could be stepping away from the game in the middle of a playoff game. Like no mental issue, no mental issue is just going to pick and choose when they choose to affect these people. Um, it's not something that they can hold off on or, decide like, oh, I'm not going to let it affect me right now. I'm going to let it affect me later. Um, we have no control over that. So um, I think the biggest thing is to just take it in stride. And, and I mean, it, this is really like, we're so early into seeing this stuff. Like this has only been around for like one or two years before then. Um, you wouldn't really hear about it, but I feel like the more we become accustomed to it, um, the more it'll be accepted and not only accepted, but we'll know what to do moving forward. I just, I just think we don't know what to do right now.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I was like, oh, your mental issue, you're soft. You know, it's like, that's not how it is, you know? And yeah, like you said, it's something that we're
2: getting new new to. uh, Simone Biles sitting out, it's like the equivalent of LeBron James sitting out in the finals, like the best gymnast in the world sitting out at the highest level. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that takes some guts in and of itself. And, uh, you know, for her to sit out like that, it's kind of, I mean, she she's not really getting paid for it, first of all. So, But it's still equivalent to a guy that's overworked and he's having panic attacks at his job and they want him to perform at a high level and he needs to take a leave of absence. It's kind of the same thing. You know, if she's not right there and she's having panic attacks right before she steps out and she's afraid she's going to have a bad for per- performance, why would she go out there, you know?
0: And so, the thing, too, is like Zach was saying, she, like... I'm going to like try to compare the two together as best as I can. But like Calvin Ridley was one of the best wide receivers in, the, in his high school, in high school and cross country, one of the best wide receivers in the, in college cross country. And he was one of the best uh, – he, he's one of the best young receivers in the NFL. Simone Biles is arguably one of the best gymnastics to ever, ever play – ever. Or compete, excuse me, ever. So if these two athletes who are at, arguably at the peak of their sport, the highest they can compete, are saying, I know what it takes to compete at this level – and I know at the state I'm in, I can't do that. I need to step away. You know, you got to give them some respect because especially when they're at that caliber, like you're talking about the work. All right. Like someone with work Meech. it's like, yeah, they're, they can take a day or two off. The business will be fine. Calvin really takes a day or two off. There's money lost. He's an investment. He has a million dollar contract, you know? So that obviously plays that weighs the mental issue even more. I feel like knowing that there's so much more because like, you know you need that rest, but you don't want to let these people down. You don't want to lose your contract. You don't want to lose your job. You have a child you to pay for. You know, like I feel like that also that that intensity of it and the intensity of the Simone Biles thing of being the first ever to have like four or five gold medals or something. excuse me about to win a record. You know, like it's the intensity of those moments. I feel like make it even harder for these athletes, which is something we don't think about. when We think about oh they're millionaires, oh they make all this money, blah blah. blah. Like yeah they do, but then that also means every move they make is so much more important. You know.
2: Exactly. I agree.
0: Yeah, but moving on from that, next up is probably one of the biggest things that happened in this past week, NFL-wise. Rams getting Von Miller for two second dates, 2022 draft picks. So I'm going to let Zach start us off with this, but I was going into this saying that the Rams had the best defense in the NFL, but Zach had some facts to spit at me earlier that I I wanted to spit out again for everyone else.
1: Yeah, so I mean, at first looking at it, I agreed, but I just wanted to look up some statistical evidence to back it up. But the Rams right now, are 21st in total defense overall. We're looking at 7th overall in points allowed. I think really? just Carolina and uh, Green Bay is. There's, uh, they've allowed 109, or 111.9 rush yards per game, which ranks 15th, so they're about middle of the pack. And then they're allowing 262 pass yards per game, which ranks 21st. So, um, wow. obviously, you can accredit this to – the strength of schedule they played. I know they've run into the Cardinals, the Bucks. They played some really high caliber offenses. And adding Von Miller is obviously going to help that. You're going to take some attention off of Aaron Donald on that line. Uh, they're ob- it's obviously going to boost the pass rush, which will in turn help the secondary out a little bit more. I mean, I know, even though you have Jalen Ramsey back there, like, oh, yeah, forgot about it. you have a top two corner sitting over there on an island. But um, they definitely aren't playing up to the caliber that we see on paper. When you look at this team on paper, you expect them to pitch 10, 10 point games every time, like the defense or the offense might put up a touchdown and a field goal on them. And then you're going to trust Matthew Stafford to go out there and just cook that. That's what you brought them in for. And that's what they're doing now. Um, I think right now they only have like one or two draft picks left for next year's. I mean, they literally sold out. They are literally the chips are, are on the table and they're going for, for it all. And honestly, I wouldn't blame them. You got an aging quarterback that you traded for. Um, you have some young talent, but not really your guys on your roster really in their prime. So if there's a time to do it, it's now. But they definitely took the steps they needed to in order to put them in the best position possible. It gives
0: me like as yes. familiar... oh, I'm
1: sorry, make you to go. Uh,
2: the I was just gonna say the Rams are the perfect example of a team that can sign and uh buy and trade their way to the top like you said i think they have one fourth round pick and one seventh round pick like that's insane i but um i mean it's probably worth it they you know they have super bowl hopes i'd say they're top three in yeah. the league uh, so yeah i mean it's kind of boomer bust for them big time especially getting Bon miller but that's crazy. I didn't know that about the defense. I thought they were top-notch. But, you know, these guys are towards the back end of their career, Von Miller. And, I mean, but Aaron Donald, I, it's it's crazy. That defense should be number one in the league. I mean, they are on paper. So, I mean, maybe Von Miller goes in there and he's the extra piece they need. But we'll see what happens.
0: Well, yeah, that's what was crazy to me because, like, when I got the notification, I was like, all right, they're the best defense in the NFL now. And I was talking to Zach about it, and he was like, I thought the same thing, and then I looked into it, and they really aren't the best team, best defense in the NFL. Um, this scenario with the Rams and their draft picks, though, and like putting all their eggs in the basket, as some would say, it gives me a very familiar feeling with last season's Saints, how they just sent everything they had to winning that Super Bowl. I feel like the Rams are doing the same thing. The they're letting Sean McVay over there get everything he needed, everything he asked for, and they're like, "Look, man, this is your year. You know, like you got to get it done." Do I think they can? Yeah, but it's football, dude. Anybody can beat anybody. Who knows who's going to win the Super Bowl, you know?
1: I think another big thing is um, on the other side of that trade, if you're a Broncos fan, because I know I'm not, but you've had Von Miller be on your team your entire life. That's what you've seen. Now you're literally giving him up for – two mid-round picks yeah i know he's towards the end of the career but for what he's done for your team like don't you think he should have been able to walk away under his own terms i mean obviously um if a trade had to happen he would obviously want it to help the team he's leaving the best as possible um i don't know if you guys saw but he sent a personal thank you video to literally everyone in the organization um once he found out he was traded that's how much that team meant to him and i know the fan base meant a lot to him as well so I mean, it's sad to see him go away like that. And then especially for the Broncos, um, I would feel like – I don't know if you could have gotten more out of it. Um, I don't know with his – like with him on that back end of his career how much you'd be able to get out for him. But, I mean, just to see it go down like that, it's not, not what you want, especially for a guy like that and a, team, and a guy that's done that much for your team.
0: Yeah, but what you're saying about the two, the two mid-draft uh, round picks, the two mid-round draft picks – it's like, yeah, they could be good, but you have no they could be bust, they could be get injured, you have no idea. At least with keeping Von Miller, you know, all right, he might not be the best like he used to be, but he, you know for a fact he's not gonna be terrible. You know what I mean? There's a there's a a sense of like uh, like trust and like in knowledge, knowing that you're gonna have that comfortability outside. You know, that you don't get that with draft picks. You never know with draft pick. You never know.
1: Yeah, that's another thing um, I've noticed about people training for draft picks. Like if you, I always say, if you know a proven player is good, like for whatever round you drafted them in, I don't understand swapping them for other first rounds. Cause like, yeah, you might see the talent in that guy coming in, but like, I know this guy I got's proven. I know what I'm getting out of this guy. He's proven the NFL production. This guy could literally come out Of college as the greatest thing since sliced bread and not perform at all. I I just don't understand where we got this sudden value and appreciation for uh, draft picks. I mean, yeah, talent's getting better, talent always gets better through the years, but in today's age, I just I don't know. I'm not understanding it as much.
2: No, I know what you mean. I think draft picks are valued. It seems like draft picks are valued so high compared to players. Sometimes, like you'll see some players that you think oh, you'd think he would get traded for at least a second-round pick and he'll go for a sixth. I'm trying to think of an example, but a lot of good players will just go on and get traded for sixth-round draft picks or seventh-round draft picks. A lot of it has to do with the contract and the money. I'm curious to see what Von Miller's contract look, look, looks like. Like, Is he on the last year of his deal? Because I'm not sure what the deal is with that.
0: Yeah, because, I don't know. Uh, it's I don't know. I do agree. The draft picks are becoming a way more valuable thing. I also wonder if the, the effect of the, their college hype train has something to do with it, too, because I remember like a big reason why uh, Jacksonville wanted Tim Tebow was because purely off of hype, you know, purely off of knowing if he was there, people were going to they're going to get asses and seats. You know, so I feel like that's another reason why, you know, college football players today entering the NFL are way more followed and way more popularized and publicized than they were when our dads were in college, you know? So that definitely could be an issue, uh, a reason for it as well. Um, Moving on. We're going to.
2: Wait, wait, just back to Von Miller's contract. So that's why they got rid of him. He uh, signed a six-year $114 million contract uh, back in 2017 or 2015, but. Uh, he's an undra- unrestricted free agent in 2022, so that's why they got rid of him.
0: Heard that, heard that. Next up, we got Jameis Winston suffers a torn ACL. He's out for the season. Crazy, but the Saints go on to still defeat the Bucs without Winston, 36-27. to 27. Uh, Correct me if I get his last name wrong, Trevor Simeon. Is that correct? That's how you say it? Yep. He went 16-29, for 29. first game ever starting in the NFL. 16 for 29, 159 yards and a touchdown to defeat the returning Super Bowl champions, Tampa Bay Buccaneers.
2: No, that wasn't his first game starting. He uh, started on the Jets last year and tore his ACL. So starting for a
0: real team in the NFL, it was his first start.
2: He started for the Broncos too, so fuck off, bud.
0: Yeah, no, but it's just cool to see, like, because I remember we talked to um, Charles Small about it last week, and he was like, Saints are going to win. It's a divisional game. And I was like, yeah, okay, Charles. And then he texted me right after the game, like, you see that?
1: You know, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see because since Tom Brady's come to the Bucks, I think they're like twenty and three or twenty and four against everyone else, but against the Saints, uh, they're one and three. So it's either got to be uh, the interdivision rivalry that they have that's just making these competitive games. Because on paper, it looked like Bucks should have cakewalked the Saints. I mean, I love Jameis. Um, it was sad to see him go away from the Bucks since he's from Florida State, but I mean, the dude's hit or miss. I mean, you're the only 30-30 guy ever. You really don't know what we're getting out of you. And this team counted on you to follow up uh, what Drew Brees did for so long. And the fact he looked good starting off, and then Simeon came in and filled his part. I think the biggest takeaway from the game, though, would definitely be that defense still wins championships. I don't care how many people you have on offense. If you are giving up 34 points a game, people are going to have a game plan to stop you two to three drives a game and then saints had the perfect game plan for it um kept the score low early in the game ran the ball a lot tried this slowed the tempo down to where you're within one or two scores going into halftime and because of turnovers actually went into halftime leading and then you just had to hold the pace get pressure with four and then hope to find your way into, into some turnovers um we saw the game ceiling pick six which shocked me i mean usually you think tom brady two minute drill you're walking away with a win in that situation but obviously um ball doesn't roll your way every time um but i think the saints now um that was a must win game looking forward i mean you know you don't have winston anymore you're gonna have to try your best to work with what you can in your division Um, you probably steal some from carolina and atlanta um but if they want to keep their playoffs so alive trevor simeon's got to be the man got to step up
2: Side note to Tom Brady and the Saints in 2011 when the Saints were on that undefeated run. I don't know if you remember that. Um, I went to the Saints-Patriots game at the Superdome and on Monday night football, and the Saints smacked Tom Brady in the Patriots. So, uh, fuck Tom Brady, and he historically sucks against the Saints at the Superdome. So, he can go fuck himself.
0: All right. Moving on from that, we got Derrick Henry suffers potential season-ending foot injury. How crazy is that? By the way, man's looking at one of the best seasons in NFL history, killing it this year,
2: and then insane
0: gone. First McCaffrey, and then and then Henry, bro. Like what? And Saquon. Like what is going on with running backs?
1: I, what this shows me is that you cannot rely. On a running back dominant team, if you're looking to build a, like a dynasty. Um, we're obviously in a heavier pass league anyway, but we've showed that players like Derrick Henry can still dominate, but that's only if they're staying healthy. We just up uh we play one more single season game now. We're up to 17 counting playoffs and preseason. Like never anymore you're gonna see a four-down back. You're gonna see. Teams that rotate running backs, they've got a guy that can receive, they've got a guy that can run through the gaps, and they've got a guy that can run to the outside. You're just not going to see teams rely on these um, all-around dominant backs. I mean, we thought Zeke was going to be – he's still really talented, but he just can't handle that much workload when teams are coming at him. Same thing with Dalvin Cook. Like, Dalvin Cook's great when he can stay on the field. Like, dude just getting injured. And then now you have Derrick Henry who literally looks like the Hulk when he's out there just stiff-arming people through the dirt. Uh, Like, they don't exist, but um, even him, he's prone to injuries. Um, I mean, looking at the Titans team now, if you look at them without Derrick Henry, are they even a strong playoff team? Like, do you have them going to the championship game? Do you have them make it to the Super Bowl? Like, probably not. Um, I think that division's easily up for grabs. Um, Obviously, you got the Jags in there, so they don't really matter. But, I mean, it's anyone's ballgame. You can't really count on a running back anymore. I mean, I love running backs, but you're not getting much value out of them i
2: mean i don't think that if anything you can count on running backs but just the game is different like 20 years ago they would hand the ball off like derrick henry's carries were normal all they did was run the ball back in the 90s and the early 2000s before we really went you know pass heavy in the nfl but i mean it's really just the game has changed in the titan's they did feed Derrick Henry the ball way too much. This was kind of, I wouldn't say foreseen because you just think of Derrick Henry as invincible, but you know, you give the guy the ball 35, 40 times came sometimes like he's going to go down, but yeah, that is, that's like, that that is a huge blow for Tennessee. Like I, Tannehill is trash. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't. That's crazy. I don't even know what you say. You just, uh, you just close the book on their season, eh?
0: Yeah, I agree. But uh, something that I've said in, in previous episodes we've had is I've always been a huge believer of, of a double running back. I believe that if you're a Division one football program, if you're a college football program in general, regardless of your division, or if you're an NFL team, I believe that having one starting running back is a waste of time. It, 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 I just think you need two running backs. I think you need a power guy and a speed guy. It changes the dynamic, it keeps two more fresher guys, and it keeps the longevity and duration of their careers. There's no reason that a guy like De- a running back should be getting 50 to 60 touches in a game in the NFL. You can easily split that in half. They can still get great stats and be a great key player and be an all-pro, all they can still do all of that, but they're going to play four more extra seasons. You know what I mean? And they're going to provide more to your team. And when they're in the fourth quarter, they're not gassed from the, taking their 50th handoff. They're fresh, you know? I've always been a believer of it. If you watch OG Wisconsin back with Russell Wilson, you know, we had Monty Ball with James White. Then we had James White with uh, Melvin Gordon, you know. That's Melvin Gordon with Corey Clement. The best year is that. Look at Alabama. They used to run double running backs. You know, if you look at teams that are successful, you got to have double running backs. And the thing with the Titans and the thing with the Panthers and the Giants, they invested so much in Saquon and they invested so much in in McCaffrey and in in, uh, Derrick Henry that they couldn't even afford another running back to, like, equal out with them because they already had so much invested in this guy.
2: I mean, those guys are, like, the guys to do it, though. Like, Christian McCaffrey's a guy you could have on every down.
0: Yeah, but are they, though? Because they're not showing that they are because they're always getting hurt.
2: That's That's the downside to it, you know? You give them, like you said, 40, 50 touches a game, they're going down, but... I don't know how could you not play Derrick Henry or Christian McCaffrey on every down if he's healthy, but I don't know. There's got to be better management instead of just hand the ball off to Derrick Henry, throw a screen to Christian McCaffrey every single play.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Zacky best is good. I think another thing was they end up signing Adrian Peterson to come in, which yeah would have been scary in like 2010, but um, you're bringing in an older back who's i get what they're trying to do you want a guy that's something similar someone you could run in between the tackles be burly get some uh, yards after contact like i get it but i feel like you got to find someone a little younger than that and a little still more in their prime to get that done um you're just looking at someone that really towards the end of, end of the career that you could sign for cheap really doesn't help you out at all i don't really understand the move um didn't really feel like the best fit um Especially now, um, before the season, you brought in Julio Jones so you could take some attention off of Derrick Henry, but he can't stay on the field either. You're bringing in a lot of older guys that are still trying to prove themselves, but they're not going to be able to stay on the field. So I just don't get what direction you're trying to take the team in, unless you're just praying they bring come back for like one more season where they can figure it out. But um, I feel like they need to rethink their free agency signings.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, I mean, AP, what do you expect from him? I mean, I can't believe he could still walk. Dude's had two ACLs and whatever. He's had a lot of injuries. And they're just hoping a guy that can come in and kind of mimic what uh, Derrick Henry can do. He's obviously not going to be anything like Derrick Henry, but he's still a guy that could come in there and get some handoffs for him.
0: Yeah, definitely, and hopefully everything. Like I, I'm not wishing any bad anything on Derrick Henry. I hope everything's the best for him. I hope all these running backs come back. I enjoy watching all of them. It sucks to see. It's just as just usually as a proving point that I think you should run two running backs. Next thing is kind of the I think the craziest is uh, so a couple of days ago Odell Beckham Senior posted on his Instagram a whole 12 minute YouTube video of bake of times of all the times throughout his Browns career that Baker Mayfield didn't throw to his son when he was open. Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski said the Browns have told Odell Beckham Jr. to stay at home. He was told to leave practice today and stay at home. And as of currently, they are now finding a way to get rid of Odell. They no longer want him and they no longer want him on their team. I want to know what y'all's thoughts are on it before I give mine.
1: Yeah. So, um, I mean, I know the trade deadline just passed and, Obviously there were offers on the table. I know they had a call from the saints and another team um, trying to figure out potential landing spots. Um, But even if you can't find like a great deal for Odell, that's still a quality player that you can turn around for either some picks or something to fill holes in your chart, especially um, on the Browns. I mean, you're dealing with a lot. Um, You already got Kareem hunt, Nick Chubb dealing with injuries. Um, Odell is obviously not happy, so he wants out. But then to not land a trade for him and then turn around and cut him, you make no profit off that at all. You're essentially just said like, yeah, we won't accept anything you want, but anyone can come take him if, they, if they'd if like. Like, I just don't really see the thought process going through for this. And then um, as of recently, Stefanski said, yeah, he's no longer with the team. Um, I just don't get what these managers are doing with these players after they cut him. Like, I get you can't find a great deal for him, but find the best deal possible, at least like get something out of it, help your team at the end of the day.
0: Yeah,
2: I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't really have an opinion on it, I'm gonna pass.
0: I just think it's, who, who's in the wrong here? Is it the Browns or is it Odell? Is it Baker or is it Odell? That, that's my biggest head, like head frustration. Who's
2: in the wrong? I I think it's just a stupid thing for your dad to come out and say some stupid shit like that. But uh, he didn't get traded. It's all a bunch of hoopla, and uh, I don't think anything's going to happen. I saw something that said uh, that they wanted to keep him, and they had no plans of trading him, which they didn't. So, I don't know. I don't think – I think he'll stay with the Browns. It's just like it's just a dad coming out and saying some stupid crap.
0: I think so. if you're Odell, yeah, you do have the right to be a little upset if there's that many times that Baker Mayfield is, you know, overthrowing you or messed up. I, you have the right to be mad. You're a wide receiver. You're, you're, your whole career is based off of him getting you the ball. I understand that. But at the same time, since I hit sixth grade, my father sat me down my first day of middle school football practice. And He said, Grayson, you are now old enough that if you have any problems with your coach – if you have any problems with the team, if anything at all, you will talk to your coach yourself. You are old enough; you will do this. And since sixth grade, when I was 12 years old, if I ever had a problem with my wrestling coach, my MMA instructor, my football coach, I was no longer allowed to have my parents talk to them. And this is a grown-ass man playing in the NFL, and this is what he has to. This is what he's doing. He's having his dad write little complaints on you on Instagram. Come on, dude. Like Odell should sit down with Baker, sit down with the coach, sit down with whoever. They feel most comfortable talking with, communicating with, and they sit down like grown-ass men, and they talk it through. You don't have your dad. That, that's petty, bro. That's child shit. I, don't, I, don't, I disagree with it 100%. And
1: I, back to what you said about the blame falling on someone, um, I really just think this is one of those times where you have a player in a team that just isn't on the same page. I think the type of player that Odell is, um, what they thought they could have made him, was great for the scheme in which – Cleveland was running. I mean, they're one of the most effective play action passing teams in the league. And you have Odell that not only has great route running, but he's got the speed to get open deep. Um, I thought Baker would have loved that when he first came over, but um, they're just not seeing eye to eye, whether that be they're not getting the right reads, they're not hitting the right depths on their progressions. Um, Something's just not clicking between the two. And I think it's time for Odell to move on for another team because um, I still think he has a lot to prove in the league. When he came in, he was literally one of the most excited rookies I think we've ever seen. I mean, immediately put on the Madden cover when he came in in 16. Um, This dude had hype. And to see him kind of fall off like this, I really don't think it's his fault. I mean, I know he's gone through injuries, but I still think he's got a lot that if he went to the right team, he could still be a big-time player.
0: Yeah, I I agree with all that. Yeah, that's just one of those things that's kind of like, I feel like it's a personal belief thing. Uh, Something that was kind of crazy, too, is the Dolphins did not trade for Deshaun Watson before deadline, which is something that I really thought was going to happen. What what do you guys think about this? I thought that they for sure were going to want Deshaun. I kept reading everything about Deshaun, and then they just didn't even go out there to get Deshaun.
2: I mean, every single week we'd see, oh, Deshaun Watson and Dolphins close to making a deal every single week and uh it never happened i didn't think it was going to happen after they reported it for the second time first time i was a little scared when they said that um there's just too much going on and it's so risky let's say the dolphins what would they have to give up two three first round picks for deshaun watson he's almost like priceless and the texans look at how bad they are without him they don't i mean they're willing to just hold on to him he's like he's an investment. He's still young. And yeah, you know, if let's say everything works out in his favor, which I don't see that happening really. And uh, the Texans still have a franchise quarterback. Why give him away when they could just hold him down? You know,
0: he still has a job and John Gruden doesn't. That's all I gotta say.
2: Yeah. That's because he, he, Deshaun Watson hasn't been convicted of anything. I mean, he really doesn't have a job. He's not playing. Um, Making if he money, was any, True, but if he was any worse of a player, if he wasn't a top three quarterback, he would not be on the Texans. That's for darn sure. The only reason he still has a job at all is because he's that good.
0: So, therefore, what you're saying is his actions that he did of breaking the law – are shunt or okay because of how good of a caliber quarterback he is? I never said
2: they're okay. I'm saying that's why he has a I'm job.
0: Eyes the NFL in the eyes of the NFL or the Texans. at least. I mean,
2: you don't think so?
0: <laughs> no, no, I completely agree. The backup defensive tackle
2: on the Cardinals was got fifty hand jobs from different masseuses.
0: You think he'd have a job? The backup D tackle? Absolutely not. No, but I'm just I'm just trying to make a point that that this. Baseline law of we, we condone bad stuff, it, that doesn't exist. Your caliber of who you are can get you through things in the NFL. Duh. Yeah, that's, that's the point I was trying to make. Now, even yeah. <laughs> the most talked about, craziest subject of the week, Henry Ruggs, man. Henry Ruggs facing DUI charges in a in deadly Las Vegas crash at 3 a.m. He was drunk driving in Las Vegas reported to be going 156 miles per hour before uh, the accident. Airbags deployed at 121 miles per hour. Thing think that's crazy. Uh, he survived. The woman in the other vehicle died, but she did not die on impact, as Zach was letting me know before this. She actually died through suffocation and burning in the car because it collapsed on her, which just makes it that much more worse. And then uh, I find out today that the NFL has a driving service in your city for NFL players in every single NFL team location, you are. Heavy. I Look, I, I like going back real quick before you go, Meach. Like, yeah, he could have some mental issues. He could have drinking problems. He had all these issues. I completely agree. I don't know what he's going on with, but there's no excuse for driving. There, I don't care what. It, there's no excuse. You can afford an Uber. You can afford a Lyft. You have a free driving service because you are an NFL football player. There's no reason to be driving. The drinking, yeah, okay, maybe, but not driving. There's there's literally not a single excuse for driving.
2: Especially going 156 miles an hour in your Corvette down the Las Vegas Strip at 4 a.m. I mean, dude, he's just a young guy that's stupid with a lot of money, and you make one mistake like that. Let me hop in my Corvette after I got drunk at the casino. I mean, first of all, it must be hard living in Las Vegas as an NFL player, millionaire, you're 22, Uh, but that's still no excuse. I'm not trying to make excuses for him. It's fucked up. I mean, we all make mistakes, but his, uh, you know, he happened to, you know, get into an accident that resulted in someone dying, which makes it a lot worse. So, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate, but he's going to definitely learn a big lesson from that, you know?
0: Man, I agree but that quick,
2: someone have to die for him to learn that lesson. Real
0: quick before you go, Zach, just to piggyback off what you said, I do agree. Being an NFL player in Las, Ve- in Las Vegas would be difficult; it'd be extremely difficult. It'd be a lot harder than being an NFL player in Green Bay. It'd be a lot harder than being an NFL player in Minnesota. But that it, that excuses the partying. That doesn't excuse drunk driving. It doesn't excuse the driving aspect. Is that's the whole point? Regardless of what team you play for, where you are in the country, if you are an NFL player or any pro athlete of that stature, why are you getting behind the wheel? I like, think there's no reason.
1: Yeah, I think, um, I think with a situation like this, you just got to try to take away the blessings from it. I mean, um, obviously, we wish the best for the family that was impacted from the accident. Um, you hate to see something like that, but for players growing up, you got to look at this and see, like, you – even if you have all the talent in the world, you gotta be able to work on yourself on the field and off the field. Like you gotta be in complete self-control throughout your life because you're a role model to a ton of people. I mean, there are eyes on you at any given point in a day, um, overviewing your every action, trying to debate whether it's right or wrong. Um, You really don't have a lot of room for mistakes, especially in the public eye. And I think for something like this to occur, I mean, it's just really sad especially for how talented he was. Um, just to know that, um, an incident like this, um, especially if his caliber, I mean, you feel like you should be smart enough not to do that. Like when it crosses your mind, like you would think like, Oh, drunk driving. Yeah, I would never do that. But I mean, these are things that happen every day. Like someone thinks they're good enough to drive and they end of the day you wake up, someone's not alive anymore. So you got to live with it and hopefully moving forward, people can look at this and realize how serious drunk driving is because even the best in the world do it and they won't get away with it. And anyone can get hurt.
0: And it's just sad because like we were talking, uh, me, me, Zach, we're talking before the podcast started, like all these people, when, when it happened, were like, Oh man, my fantasy team screwed. My, I'm a Raiders fan. Our season screwed, blah, blah. blah. It's like it, going back to these being human beings and not just professional athletes that we were talking about earlier. It's like, Dude, someone has lost their life. Like, like a like a man just lost, a woman lost her life to death, and then a, a young man is about to lose a very good amount of his life for a sentence. You know, like sports are gone at this point. There's no, but there's no. I'm a Raiders fan. There's no. He's on my. That, that's gone. You know, like this is a serious issue, regardless of the stature of that of the human of the individual. You know, and that's that's a problem today. With I feel like with sports, is people forget they're human beings. You know, and that's that's the thing you see a lot. We talked about it with the Tennessee fans throwing stuff on on this uh, at the game against Ole Miss. You see with people throwing stuff at LeBron, like people forget, like these are still human beings, their fathers, their brothers, their role models, their coaches, like they still have families like they are human beings, you know, and then it's it's just sad, man. It's really sad. It's really sad. Next up, I got uh, something that's not that crazy. I don't even know, honestly, why. I wrote it down. Uh, Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas out for the season. He basically was already out for the season. He didn't do anything this year. So Uh, Finishing up with NFL, Aaron Rodgers tested positive for COVID-19. Would not be in the Chiefs game. Do we think that the Chiefs might get this win now?
1: Jordan, love time, baby. It's time to prove a shot. I mean, you literally got brought in. Under similar circumstances, that Aaron got brought in, um, you're supposed to, Aaron when he came in was supposed to be this prodigy to Favre, be this all perennial. Look how he turned out. So obviously they're trying the same thing with Jordan Love, and I think this is the perfect opportunity to know your worth in your player. I mean, he's been under him. Is this still his rookie year? Second year? his
0: Second year.
2: Maybe his third
0: year.
1: It's second so or third. So. He's not a rookie. Yeah, he's not a rookie. So I mean, given that, I mean, you had you had to find his worth at some point and this is the time to do it um you got a struggling chief secondary that obviously isn't defending very well um you stood up big last week against the cardinals i mean one of the highest scoring offenses so if i'm looking at the packers right now i still look at this game as like we can win this we just got to see what we got in our quarterback and if they don't then i wouldn't be surprised if they shut him out next year because aaron isn't there for much longer i can promise you that it does not look like aaron's Fully committed in that team overall. Obviously during the season, he's gonna be committed. But I think off season comes around. I think the last two years we've been discussing like his where his mind's at being with the team. But um, I don't think it's gonna be alive very much longer, especially after seeing how much success Tom Brady's had with the Bucs. I think I think a change is in order for both him and the Packers.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I think Aaron Rodgers is out of there too. I'm surprised he even stay there this season but um yeah we'll see what Jordan Love's got i i don't think they get lucky a third time from going from far to Rodgers to Jordan Love being a beast but i don't know maybe we'll see this they kind of started the the sit behind a veteran quarterback and watch him play type of thing like Aaron Rodgers kind of was the first one to really you know sit and wait a few years and come out and be successful and I feel like other teams followed suit after that trend uh so I mean yeah we'll see about Jordan Love you know he wasn't the highest rated quarterback coming out of college but he was still you know the top five best quarterbacks of his class according to scouts so you know he's got to show something we'll see
0: so question for you guys some food for thought if Jordan Love balls out this game and they destroy the Chiefs he has an epic – I believe it's his first start. Epic – whatever, his first real big game. Regardless, yeah. If he goes out there and he balls, right, and he just destroys the Chiefs, he looks amazing. What do you guys think that does to Aaron? What do you think that – I want to know what you guys think about that. Let's just say Jordan Lowe goes out there and balls. What does that do to the Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packers situation?
1: Uh, if anything, I just feel like you have a little less – bitter taste in your mouth once Aaron leaves. I feel like that opens the door for Aaron leaving a little easier. And then you're a little confident move, moving into the future with what you got. Um, if he goes out there and he plays horribly, then obviously you're in panic mode because not only does Aaron hold all the power now, because he knows you're, you're fucked. I got all the power. You are nothing without me. Um, I think that's a big issue. And I like what Roland said about how uh, Aaron was really, kind of one of the first QBs we saw sit under the ranks for a while and then come up and be a star. Usually if you're a star, you're just going to come right out and show what you got. I mean, we saw that with Mac Jones. Like, they didn't even keep Cam Newton around for whatever reason. They just said, Mac's our guy now. We're not going to keep you around when you can obviously try to start somewhere else. Um, Zach Wilson, um, he's showing signs that he's great, but, but obviously it's the Jets. You, you're not going to find out much. And then with the other quarterbacks, they're kind of strong. Mac
2: Jones throws dump-off passes every single play, but that's you're, – yeah. you're calling him a star already? Mac Jones?
1: Hey, I'm not saying – hey, top top ten in the league in passing yards, I'm going to hold my ground on our little Tom Brady prodigy child. We got working over here.
2: Five-yard dump-offs every play. Guy looks awesome. I love that Patriots system. Dump-off, dump-off, dump-off. Tom Brady did it the best.
1: I will. I mean, as a fan, it obviously sucks because usually any third and long, you know, you're just going to get a screen pass. But I mean, you, you want to draft players that work. Um, I think the Chiefs' biggest issue, if they ever move on from Patrick Mahomes, is you're never going to get another Patrick Mahomes. So you're obviously going to struggle. Um, there's some quarterbacks that go beyond the scheme. Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, those guys, Lamar Jackson, I guess, or I would say as well, he's elite in my mind. These guys just groundbreaking when it comes to player types. Um, but I don't really think – I think it's kind of overhyped thinking a guy's going to sit in the reins for so long and suddenly come out and be this, like, oh, complete, knowledgeable, all-time great. I just don't see it happening. Um, obviously, I want Jordan Love to succeed. I want to see good quarterback play, but I don't have a ton of hope.
2: Yeah, I don't think it changes anything going back to the Aaron Rodgers situation. Um, what's probably going to happen is he's going to go out there and have an okay game, and it's not really going to change anything. And uh, they'd still have to make the decision on whether they try to keep Rodgers and if they keep Rodgers to trade Jordan Love or to let him go and let Jordan Love be the future or draft a guy. So that's, those are their options.
0: Yeah, I just want to uh, move on to the college football. I just want to recap real quick as I'm a big firm believer of the two running backs, I'm also a big firm believer of college and NFL quarterback sitting a little, I feel like you see a lot of success when that happens. Jameis Winston, he won the Heisman. He sat a little bit. Um, Mac Jones won the Heisman. He sat. I'm a big believer of that, especially when you have a quarterback, let them know the playbook, let them know the system, then they get to attack. This kind of has to go on on the same topic. We were talking about earlier of, of the value of draft picks. It's like nowadays, instead of, Creating a player and developing an athlete—it's like we'd rather just we'd rather the draft them. We'd rather just get them, you know. And I feel like that's that's a trend we're starting to see now, rather than what we used to see back in the day. But moving on to college football, started off this week hearing about TCU and their head coach Gary Patterson have mutually agreed to part ways after 21 seasons. Patterson's coaching record at TCU was 181 and 79. They were CU at under under Patterson. Listen, I want to. I didn't realize how crazy this is, but I'm going to read this off real quick before I, before we continue this. Under Patterson at TCU, they were CUSA champs in 2002. They were four-time Midwest Conference champs, and they were the Big 12 champs in 2014. Okay, He was two-time coach of the year, two-time, two-time AFCO coach of the year, two-time AP coach of the year, Bobby Dodd coach of the year, two-time Eddie Robinson coach of the year, George Munger award winner, Liberty Mutual coach of the year award, two-time uh SN Coach of the Year, two-time Walter Camp Coach of the Year, two-time Woody Hayes Trophy winner, Home Depot Coach of the Year, Paul Bear Bryant Award, CUSA Coach of the Year, two-time Mountain West Coach of the Year, and Big 12 Coach of the Year. He's also had 55 players drafted under him from TCU and currently 23 TCU players in the NFL from under him.
1: Yeah, I mean – currently they're sitting at what three and five and like one and four in conference Mm -hmm. conference play as of today. Um, Obviously you're not looking to lead your division, but I mean, the dude got you there, but I think TCU sees bigger for the school moving forward. I think they got what they could out of Patterson. So now they want to part ways, but I mean, if you look at a guy and you see all those accolades under a man and for what he's done for your school, don't you think you should offer him the decency to leave under his own terms at the end of the year? I mean, I, I know you agreed to part ways, but, like, why agree in the middle of the season? Like, the man is our – like, we're already into the recruiting process to get him out. There's already a certain amount of players committed to TCU. Now, whether it be for the school or for him, that's on the players to decide. Um, but I just feel like that's the worst thing you could do for your school in the middle of the season is to just completely take the culture that a coach brings and try to change that. Um I feel like now moving forward, they're obviously exploring other options. But with um, what is it? Oklahoma and Texas are leaving the Big 12, right? Yeah. They're, yeah. So with that, you're going to see a lot of teams in there to think that, oh, we can be the top dog now. So TCU obviously looked at it and said, if we want to be top dogs, we got to move away from this man. And I just don't think moving away from him is the best option. 55 draft picks. The man knows what he sees in players. He can get you where you need to be.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I do understand where their frustration is coming from, knowing that when you first got him and uh, up until about 2013, 2014, y'all were hot. TCU is always consistently ranked, always consistently getting high draft picks. He's the first uh, coach in TCU history to have two first-round draft picks in this past draft. You know, so, like, it, it, it's one of those things that's like he knows what it takes, but for some reason this past couple of years, they just couldn't do it. And I don't know if that's because his styles got figured out, if old school gameplay doesn't work anymore, if they weren't getting the recruits, if uh, Oklahoma, Texas were just so much better. I, I don't know what it was, but I do understand their frustration. But as you said, Zach, I am a huge believer in letting them finish the season, man. You know, at least I don't I don't agree with LSU firing Ogeron, but at least they agreed to let him finish out the season. You know, and I, I think that's very disrespectful. That they did that personally to Gary Patterson.
2: Yeah, after twenty one years, you do that to your coach. I mean, like fire him mid season. What? What are? What's TCU's record?
0: They're three and five, one four in conference. Not good. Not good.
2: Yeah, it's not good. But they. I mean, what was TCU before this man came to the program? Uh, nothing.
0: Yeah, literally. Yeah, they were terrible.
2: Like I, they didn't really become <laughs> relevant until he was there and. I mean, really, since Andy Dalton kind of made them relevant during that era. And, uh, yeah, I, I agree. You should let a team – you should let a coach finish a the season. They, the Jets even let Adam Gase finish the season. So, I think it's the right thing to do in most cases. But, um, Yeah. It's uh, it is what it is. Like yeah. the shakeup with the conferences, and it's probably they probably thought it was time to make a move. So
0: no, and I like what you said there, mech Uh, like before before he got there, where was he? Because it makes you think. It's like all right, when he first got hired, it was like all right, Gary, we're looking to make the, us a bowl eligible team. We want to be consistently in bowl games. We want to be consistently six wins. You know, we want to be five hundred. All right, you did that, Gary. Here's your contract extension. We want to start looking for eight to ten wins a season. You know, we want to start maybe getting a bigger bowl games, start getting some four-star recruits. Oh, you did that? All right, now we're starting to look to win some conference championships. We're starting to look to maybe get on the national scene. Oh, you did that? Now we want to be the best. It's like, all right, you got this guy when you wanted him to just make your program decent. He did that. He made you good. He made you amazing. Yeah, he had a couple of rough years. But it's like the, you the same coach you had when you wanted you guys to be decent is the same coach you're mad about, about not being national champs. You know, like the whole pyramid you have of right here – it would not exist if it wasn't for Gary Patterson, you
2: know? Right. That's what I'm saying. So I don't know, maybe there's something else going on. They, after 21 years, probably good to get a new face in there, especially when you're three and five and they haven't really like, they haven't really been that good in the past, you know, three, four years. So I don't know.
0: Yeah. And then, um, so I was researching was researching to see, you know, he's obviously going to get a coaching job. You don't have the resume that that man has and don't get hired. You know, like, it's inevitable. Regardless of what you think of the season this year or what you think about him at TCU, like, you got to admit that he, he is a Division one Power Five caliber head coach, okay? So I'm researching. I'm looking. I'm, like, trying to see, all right, where's he going to go? Where's he going to go? Well, Texas Tech, as we just talked about, just got rid of their head coach. So everyone's saying that he already has Texas ties. He's already a Big 12, a Big 12 coach. It wouldn't be that shocking for him to go to Texas Tech and then just do what he did at TCU and then make them become a a prominent program. You know, I could see that happening. And then looking at Uh, it. I
2: just saw this headline right here about Gary Patterson. Lincoln Riley says that ain't right on Gary Patterson's exit from TCU. So there you go.
0: Yeah. And then I was like, all right, so who's going to take the TCU job? Started looking into it. So it, it looks like uh, at first, SMU head coach uh, Sony Dykes and UTSA head coach Jeff Trailer were both in line for the Texas Tech job because that was like the next big step for them. Well, before that happened, UTSA head coach Jeff Traylor uh, recently accepted a pay raise and a contract extension from UTSA. So he was out. So everyone was like, oh. Uh, Sony Dykes at SMU is going to be the Texas Tech coach, like he's going to go to a Power 12 or a Power Five, he's going to be a Big 12 coach. Whether well, now it's like, well, TCU job opened up, why is he going to go to Texas Tech that has never done anything when he can just go to TCU, which is just a little downfall but has an historic program? You know, I feel like what's going to end up happening, I mean, I can't say for sure, but I feel like it would make most sense. Dykes from SMU has Texas ties, goes to TCU, and then you see either Patterson take over SMU. Or you see like a little switcheruski, or you see Patterson take over Texas Tech.
1: Um, actually, I thought the best option for the coaching job at TCU was gonna be Justin Fuentes. He was already the assistant coach under Patterson at TCU for four years um, before he ended up moving on uh, to Memphis, and then now he's at Virginia Tech. Um, he's forty-two and thirty um, coaching for VT. That's pretty pretty good in my opinion, um, especially in the ACC. I think he'd have a better opportunity coaching players out of the big 12. Um, I think he'd have more success there, um, especially since you're not as in a competitive environment. Um, as the ACC, I still think the ACC is pretty good. This is just an off year. Obviously teams aren't highest caliber that they were in the past, but um, he already has some experience with TCU. He's already been around the culture enough, um, unless, TCU wants a complete culture change. They want someone that's never been there. Then I understand. Go for it. Um, Billy Napier, obviously, pretty good uh, candidate as well. But I think Fuentes is the best option.
0: Did Texas, or excuse me, did Virginia Tech officially get rid of Fuente?
1: No, I don't think he was released. I just think that's the best fit for him. Um, Obviously, I would think they'd want to move on. Um, His record is decent, but that's another school where I think you got to move on just to get a different look. You're obviously not going to win your conference with what you got. So look elsewhere.
0: Yeah. And I think he's, I think that he's a foot out the door anyways. I feel like even if they don't get rid of him right now, I feel like it's just, he's not really turning the program much around to what it, it should be. Moving on from that, we got Minnesota signs PJ Fleck to a seven year contract extension for those that don't know too much about, my boy PJ Fleck. Um, he was the head coach at Western Michigan, had them have an amazing career there. Corey Davis came out of there. ended up going to Minnesota. He's currently 32 and 21 as the Govers head coach. It doesn't sound too too crazy, right? Well then if you look at you dial it in a little bit more, he's 24 and 10 in the last 34 games, which is the best 34-game run in any Minnesota coach history. Six and two currently, four and one in the Big Ten. What do y'all think about this PJ Fleck signing? You think that Minnesota's in the right direction with it? You think? Uh, what do you think about it?
2: First of all, why is PJ Fleck your boy? You're like my boy, PJ Fleck. Who?
0: He's not. My, I, give a, I didn't mean I like. Give I give like, a shit foremost, about the
2: Golden Gophers.
0: First and foremost, I'm a Wisconsin Badger fan, whose rivals with Minnesota. So don't come at my neck like that. I accidentally said it, all right? I'm sorry. S-
2: Since when did you like Wisconsin?
0: My whole life. My entire life. You ever been there? Yeah, I went, on, I went there uh, in the summer, though.
2: <laughs> I'm just messing with you. But uh, Big Ten football is trash. And the Golden Gophers are trash. So, I could care less. Zach, handed it off to you.
1: I'd say the only thing I have to say about signing, I mean – he's a big part of the culture there at Minnesota. So I feel like record was a little bit not as important as to what he meant as a football coach uh, to Minnesota. Um, The only thing I disagree with is I hate, and I mean, I fucking hate any deal that has to do with anything that involves longer than five years. If you, you cannot see that far into the future. There are so many things that could happen within a year span let alone seven years and they want to bring this man back for seven years they don't even know if he's going to be the same person in seven years philosophies like what comes out like this man could change his entire life in that time frame but i mean obviously the thing it shows is they have a lot of trust in him um they love the guy so they want to lock him down as long as possible i just hate anything over five years i think it's stupid um too too much oversight they think they think it'll save them money in the long term, but really you're just setting yourself up for some shit to go wrong. And then you're going to end up in a really bad spot where either a, if things don't go the way you think they are, you're going to have to buy his contract out. And we saw how that went with Willie Tire and Florida state, or you're going to have a situation where he's going to want out and he's going to be not recruiting as hard or not giving it as all. Cause he wants you to do whatever it takes to get his ass out of there. Um, obviously you wish them the best. You hope they do well with what they got, but that's all I pretty much have to say about it.
0: Yeah, I agree. So going back on to what we were talking about earlier with the uh, Texas and Oklahoma going to the sec conference USA likely to add four schools as all sport members, Liberty, New Mexico state, and then two FCS programs, Sam Houston state, who's currently ranked number one in FCS and Jacksonville state, was a historical FCS powerhouse. I think it's just crazy because it's just another domino effect of Oklahoma, Texas, man. That's, that's all it is.
2: Yeah, Conference USA is on the down for sure. Uh, I'd say the Sun Belt takes over as better than Conference USA. And uh, Conference USA might go down as not the worst, probably not worse than the MAC, but one of the worst actual D1, not double-A uh, conferences. So,
1: Yeah, I think, um, obviously, it'd probably be impossible to do, but I wish FCS and FBS would kind of instill the regulation that soccer invokes. Like, if you finish at the bottom of your conference or of your league at the end of every year, why should you not go down and try to compete with teams more at your competition level? I mean, That's we're a literally... Great idea yeah we're literally throwing fcs teams like north dakota state uh, that end up going undefeated every every year and they're not playing anybody and it's like oh yeah well they have a pretty much the same uh the same roster as like an acc school like why are we keeping them down there like would they not want to be in the fbs and make more all
2: about money dude it's because when you join a conference you sign a contract with espn and you make way more money and Like, that's why FAU jumped up. They got, you know, another million dollars or whatever it is to be in the American conference and grows your audience. It's all about money. And like they tried, I don't know if you heard about the Super League that they tried to make over in Europe when they tried to bring in Spanish clubs, French clubs, English clubs into an American style league. And they freaked out and they got it canceled. That was because a bunch of American businessmen went over there and wanted to create this league. It's all about money. So once money isn't a factor in the NCAA, which it always will be, especially now with student-athletes making money, uh, yeah, I don't ever see that changing. So that's the only reason they don't do it probably.
0: Yeah, me neither. And it just sucks because, like, realistically, dude, there, there are some years where there are some FCS programs that are a top 25 team regardless of their division. You know, there's some North Dakota State teams that have won 90s. There's some JMU teams that have won some 90s. App State beat number five, Michigan, uh, North Dakota State beating Iowa State. Like There are some years where it's like I would really like to see North Dakota State in the Midwest Conference or in the Pac-12 or, or some teams. And I think what we're going to see when Jacksonville State and uh, when Jacksonville State and Sam Houston State come, it's going to be like, that's going to be a really, it, it's going to be one of those things that it's going gonna, it's gonna to come down quick to show are these top-notch FCS teams really that good? Or is it just they get lucky? You know? I think we're going to find that out quick. Because the USA is a conference that can smoothly, a, a very good FCS team could smoothly go into and, and do well.
1: And I think another thing we're going to start seeing is like SEC is obviously going to start, or all the, um, the conferences are going to change their name because obviously location-wise teams are moving around. I like can't really call it the Southeastern Conference when you've got two Midwest teams there um i just think it's going to turn into a big tax bracket yeah your richest teams in the sec second's going to go to the big 10 then the acc it's going to filter out and then i think you're going to start seeing teams leave the f fcs into the fbs and vice versa you're going to see teams drop down because simply they just can't keep up with the money aspect of it like you're literally players are going to make money off their names more money is going to be involved and if you cannot compete with the big dogs for playing time airtime. Getting on television, getting seen, getting jersey sales, whatnot. If you're not bringing in the cash, you're not going to get players. You are not, you are no longer going to be able to recruit for academics. Like, not like obviously some players commit for academic purposes, but at the end of the day, it's like, oh, do you want to go to Duke or do you want to go to Alabama where you're going to literally be on TV every day? Like, I think the answer is pretty obvious.
0: Well, going on endorsements, uh, what you're speaking of. Let's be let's be completely honest and like cut out all, all bullshit. If you are a, a three-star tight end or four-star tight end, it's a little under-recruited, you are going to make more money off endorsements and sponsorships playing at North Dakota State than you are going to play in half of the C USA. Let's be honest. Because they sell out every game, they have their own TV, their own TV schedule, and you know you're gonna play in the playoffs. You know, and you know that if in North Dakota, those restaurants, those businesses. You are going to have more opportunities to make a profit for yourself as a young man than you are playing at a small school in the FBS level. Let's be honest.
1: I also think, um, so where was, where was I trying to go with this? Oh yeah. So I think this also affects the NFL's perspective on drafting players. No longer are you just going to be looking at people at power five conferences to draft because you're like, Oh, they play at the high skill level. Like, kids aren't going to play at the best schools anymore. They're just going to go to where they can make the most money. Now, whether that be playing for the best school in the country and getting the show out, like they can do that. But like you said, they could go to a smaller school, fall out, get a ton of endorsement. But now they face the risk of like, oh, well, he didn't play the best level of competition. We don't know if we should draft him. That was Trey Lance's biggest knock is, oh, the dude looks great, but the dude also plays against FCS people. We don't know what he can do. And I think but- that's the biggest issue.
2: But that's the thing. If you have to choose between North Dakota or even Florida Atlantic, you're not making that much money anyway. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. Wh- like, what? How, how do you think the sponsorships would be that much different? You play. From, it. You play it. All right. Let's you say to- FAU in, in North Dakota okay, State. Yeah,
0: listen, listen. You go to FAU, right? You get what, 2,000 people a game if you're lucky? 2,000? Every single yeah. time you play at North Dakota State, their stadium is sold out. Every single time they play a game, home or away, it is on television. Every single season they play, they are in the postseason. But you,
2: how would they be making more money?
0: Because you have restaurants in North Dakota, you have businesses in North Dakota, you have all those people in North Dakota that are like, look, we're willing to sponsor you because we know how much if we sponsor you and you ball out, you're gonna be on TV, you're gonna be on ESPN, you're gonna be playing in the national championship. If you go to FDU, bro, no one's going to your games. No one's buying your jerseys. Like your jersey sales alone are going to increase based on the popularity of your team in North Dakota.
1: Yeah, the level of competition. I, I
2: guess I don't know. I, it, I went a, to North
0: Dakota State, okay, for wrestling. I, I went and saw everything. I'm telling you right now, going there, you are going to get more of a following from the people there, and and the historical aspect of generation. No, no, I
2: believe that, but That's going to I don't open know the door like, for
0: jersey sales and endorsements more than playing at. An FAU or a small FBS team where no one cares about you because you're not the biggest team in the state. I promise. Yeah, you. I,
2: I believe it. makes sense.
1: Moving on from that. Oh, I'm sorry, Zach. Yeah, just the last thing is, uh, like, the competition in the area. Like, you look at FAU, like, we have Miami not too far from us. We play in a state where we have a ton of college football. In North Dakota State, there is only North Dakota State. You really yes. don't know how much other teams you're competing with for the spotlight. Like when it comes out of North Dakota, you, the North Dakota people are going to have your back. When you go to FAU, you're competing with Miami. You're competing with Florida. You're competing with Florida state. If all these teams around the area, whatever team you want to name, those are players competing for those endorsement deals as well. So I feel like you got to pick and choose where you want to win your battles and where you want to lose. You want to go to the better school. You want to make more money. You want to go to better academics. You want to be more noticeable. Your uh,
0: on top of that too there's no nfl program in north dakota so if you are the best quarterback at north dakota state you are the best quarterback in the state of north dakota you know what i mean you are their, the the face of the state you know what i mean like that's another thing too that's going to help with endorsements and that's going to help open doors for these kids you know when you go to a school like north dakota you go to a school like montana you go to school at fresno state where they don't have a local team there's no pro know. To you. you know what i mean so, like when you like that helps with endorsements, also like Trey Lance, starting quarterback for North Dakota State, best quarterback in the state, eating at Buffalo Wild Wings, North Dakota, Fargo. You know what I mean? Like it's stuff like that. You're not gonna get an FAU and stuff like that. You know? Uh, next thing yeah, I something that I read off of bars him to give him the credit, which was I just thought was hilarious. Texas special teams coach Jeff Bank. His pet monkey attacked a trick or treater, quote unquote, had to pry the monkey's jaw off the monkey's jaws off of the child.
1: I think the best part what? of the story that wasn't talked about is it's not even his monkey. It's the monkey is uh, his girlfriend or his wife, who's a stripper who he met while he was with his other wife, and they caused him to divorce. Now he's with this stripper who has a pet monkey. And the monkey is a stripper as well. She is on stage with the monkey doing all these shows. Like, <laughs> like how, where are you getting these special teams coach that have such weird lives going I on? I see his them? resume. Yeah. Well, when you were interviewing for the job, were you just like, oh, that dude's got a hot wife, that monkey, that's my assistant. That's my special teams coach. Like, where, where in the thought process were you like, that's who I want on my staff?
0: It literally just shows Texas football in a nutshell. Like it literally just like, it's just Texas football in a nutshell, dude. They're special teams, coaches, girlfriends, pet monkeys attacking trick or treaters, man. Like, I just thought everyone I need to know about that. I just thought that was awesome. Georgia Southern. So,
2: uh, the coach's girlfriend, the woman he left his wife and kids for. Is or was a stripper that goes by the name Pole Assassin.
0: Meet you, you and said
2: monkey named Gia right. has been incorporated into her act. She has also appeared on Jerry Springer.
0: You good? You just had a laggy laggy session.
2: Yeah. Sorry, I was trying to read something. See, I need a new laptop, bro. I can't even open a page and have Zoom at the same time. It's like it told me your computer usage is affecting your
0: so a telephone. Uh, camera a phone. Telephone. Next, we got Georgia Southern getting former USC head coach Clay Helton. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a Clay Helton fan at all. I don't even know too much about him. All I know is he was 46 and 24 at USC. Hopefully, he can do better at Georgia Southern. I don't know if you guys have anything to say about that. I just just saw it.
2: I used to live near Georgia Southern. Screw that. School. Uh, that's all I have to say.
1: I think, uh, I think there are certain coaches built for certain conference play. You look at people like Mike Norvell and you give him a test to a power five coming out of Memphis like you want to give him that chance Florida State also tried to do that with Willie Taggart once he left well first he was at USF West Kentucky all that then went uh to Oregon then FSU um you see how they coach better when your roster is better but once game planning comes in like that's where you kind of separate it I think I'll do better in an environment where he can recruit better and get better people. And I think his game planning is a little better suited um, for non power five. I just think when he's going up against that much talent and his guys are equal, he's just getting out coached up there. Um, I don't think he's ever going to out coach uh, his team into a win. Um, I think he made the right move leaving USC. Um, but I definitely think it's one of, one of the bigger things that go unnoticed is that uh, coaches are meant for certain conferences. They're either better recruiters and they make up for it in that aspect because they can't game plan as well. You have some guys who are amazing game planners and just can't recruit that well. Um, I feel like they got to find where they match up and what school fits them. And I think this is a good shot for him to figure out where he stands as a college coach.
0: I don't think he's going to turn them into anything like a Liberty or like a uh, Cincinnati or anything like that. But I do agree with the fact that he's going to get those borderline power five kids now. He's going to get those kids that are like, I can go to USC and sit for three years and then maybe get a two-year run and go to the NFL or I can go start right away under a coach who's produced NFL-caliber players at Georgia Southern. You know what I mean? But like I said, that's, I, I don't really got too much to speak about. It. I don't really care for Clay Helen or Georgia Southern, to be honest. A uh, little fun fact, college game days headed to Cincinnati for the first time ever. Cincinnati hosts Tulsa. I think they'll slaughter them. Tulsa's like three and five. Uh, it's just to get it out There's no really big games. Big thing to talk about college football right now basically the main focus of our college football discussion tonight, college football playoff rankings just got released tonight. I'm going to read off the rankings and then we'll discuss like the politics of everything coming in from 10 to one at 10. We got Notre Dame nine. We got wake forest eight, Oklahoma, seven, Michigan, six, Cincinnati, five, Ohio state, four, Oregon, three miss, excuse me, Michigan state, two Alabama, one UGA. First thing I want to discuss about this, uh, before we talk about Cincinnati, because obviously that's the most controversial thing about this uh, ranking, is the Wake Forest thing. So I was talking to some of my, my sources, some of my, my higher up people in the sports media world, and we were talking today and we were like, look, Wake Forest hasn't really beat anyone. I, I completely agree. But let's, let's, let's take that out of factor, right? Change Wake Forest with, with Clemson. If Clemson had this Wake Forest schedule and they went out, like 9-0, 8-0, whatever Wake Forest is right now, 7-0, whatever they are, would Clemson be ranked ninth in the college football playoffs? And the answer is no, they wouldn't. Now, I'm not saying Wake Forest is a top-four team. I'm not even saying Wake Forest is going to finish the season undefeated. That's not what I'm saying whatsoever. What I am saying is, in a system that's supposed to be based on pure fairness, if you switch this Wake Forest team with Clemson, this Clemson team would not be ranked ninth. That is what I got to say.
2: Hmm. I feel like it's just like uh, uh, it's tough to answer that because Clemson doesn't have the same schedule as Wake Forest and it's like a hypothetical that can't answer that's why the polling and everything that goes on with the rankings is so you know it's biased it's it's as fair as it can be in my opinion so I mean, taking in everything for account, strength of schedule, you know, everything that they take in account. I mean, I I I think the rankings most of the time are on point. You know, it is what it is. Their algorithm works. For the most part.
1: I feel like the algorithm this year, um, you could definitely see less punishment coming for losses earlier in the season. Um, before, if you were a top five team and you lost to an unranked opponent, you you would be lucky to be inside the top 10, let alone the top 15, come next week. Um, we see this with teams like Oregon. Oregon's ranked fourth right now. If you take away that loss from that three and five Stanford team, let's say they're undefeated, let's say they win that game, they're probably ranked like second in the country. So what you're telling me from the rankings is that losing to a three and five Stanford team, whether it be through injuries, whether it be through just a bad day, is only worth dropping two spots in the rankings. Then honestly, losing doesn't even matter that much. Obviously later in the season, going to be a bigger deal, more impact on those games. And I like how they kind of didn't tear teams apart for losing so early in the season. Um, but the fact that you have um, an undefeated Oklahoma, which they haven't been playing well, but I think with Caleb Williams, they deserve their ranking at eight. You have a Wake Forest undefeated Power Five conference team up there. Like, obviously, maybe deserve to be a little higher. Maybe not. Because, I mean, if you were to put them up against an Ohio State or an Oregon or Michigan State, are they going to win? Probably not. I don't know. I don't think so. Um, but, I mean, I don't really think there was any way that they could have made everyone happy. I think they went with what who they think is the best from what they've seen so far. And I can't really be mad at that. I just think um, you got to give – Some teams credit like Wake Forest. Um, You got to give some teams credit like Cincinnati. And then I think the only other thing I had wrong with it is not a single Sunbelt team ranked in the top 25. You have a, you have a what? Three and how, what's Wisconsin's record right now? Four and three. Four and three ranked over undefeated teams on non power five. It's just pretty much saying that no one in the power five really matters. And that's most likely because it's because the entire board of the college football committee is made up of power five members they only represent teams like from the power five they're not really going to give any credit to the teams that aren't in it because they really have nothing to prove
2: but um, but the thing is um do you think any team in the sun belt is beating four and three wisconsin
0: i think utsa uh, and i think coastal carolina as a badger fan both could beat wisconsin yes
2: I don't know. That's the thing. I mean, as a Badger maybe. fan, as
0: someone that, that born and raised in six years old wanted to go to that university, I'm telling you that's what I believe, yes. Okay. I feel like... Maybe. Biggest- that's what I'm
2: saying. Maybe, but it's not like, oh, Coastal Carolina is that much better than them. But that's where it comes into play. Like You argue that the record's better, so they should. But they also haven't played anyone, so it's like, what do you do?
1: I feel like I feel like we really ruined all this as you look back to, I think 2005 it was. And one of the biggest teams we'd ever seen was Colt Brennan and Hawaii go undefeated and put up like 50 points a game out of whatever conference they were in. And then they got, they in the wild. They given, yeah, they were given the credit. They were deserved as a top team. They didn't put them in the national championship, but they gave them the next best option, which was to be put into a murder with Georgia who got screwed out of being in the national championship. And that literally just let the world know that non-power five teams cannot compete with the big dogs.
0: Yeah, but they- then but then to argue that you see in the 2008 BCS Fiesta Bowl, Boise State beat an Oklahoma's team that should have been in the national championship. And then you see UCF beat a Auburn team who also could have been in the national championship. And to go back on what you guys both both said, and I also agree, showing the schedule is very important. I do agree with that, yes. But Wake Forest is a power five program, they were in a power five conference. They, it is not their fault that the ACC sucked this year. They do not control that. They do not control that their conference is bad. But what they do control is that they play in a power five conference, and they're winning out, and they're doing what they can control. So you're telling me if they went out and they did everything they could possibly do and the powers that they have in their hands, you're telling me they still don't deserve it? This just goes back to – I don't think that – I don't think the college football committee will be completely fair and completely – both sides until there's at least eight teams i think 12 is perfect but i think at least eight
1: and if you were going to do that then at least let teams know before the year even starts like hey even if you go undefeated like probably not going to make the college football committee like sorry about it like have some way of letting teams know before the year start that these are your expectations for them and even if they exceed or underperform like this is where they're going to round out like i know you can't predict what's going to happen but you got to have what if scenarios to play out because what if you do end up having uh, a lot, like, let's say Wake Forest and Cincinnati went out. They don't really have anyone on their schedule that really like puts them in the, yeah, they need to be in. Wake Forest doesn't. Wake Forest doesn't. Cincinnati does. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Cincinnati's got a couple more, which I got a lot of hope for Cincinnati. I think they could really pull this off and actually make a threat. I don't know if they'll make a threat in the playoff, but just in order to make it in, I think it'd be big to see finally someone outside of just, the Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson routine that we've seen the last couple of years or so. That's yeah. actually
0: that's actually the next thing I wanted to go to is talk about Cincinnati. So everyone, so when we did all these pre-playoff uh, rankings, I had them at two to three, four worst case scenario. Okay, but I was like, look, they beat Indiana at Indiana, and going into the season, Indiana was ranked very high and regarded very well. as They had a very good COVID season last year. They beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame, and they still play SMU, and then possibly if Houston wins out, they play Houston in the conference championship game. That's three to four ranked games right there, okay? And they're at six. Ohio State has zero ranked wins this season, zero. And they and, and, and they have zero ranked wins, and Cincinnati went to Notre Dame, who was ranked number 10 in the College Bowl playoffs, and beat them. You know, and then head coach Luke Fickle for Cincinnati says – uh, who's the chairman that even played football, you know? And then the craziest thing I'm reading today, right before we do this podcast, uh, head coach for the UCF Knights, um, <laughs> no on, former coach for Auburn, coached in two national championships. You no know, man knows his football. He stated, I played Alabama and UGA every year. And believe me, the Cincinnati team is right up there with them. They can win it all. Okay. On top of that, Cincinnati went undefeated last year, 10 and 0 in their COVID season played Georgia, the loss of Georgia 24-21 to in a game they were winning, that Georgia beat them on a game-winning drive, and then they are undefeated again this year. So their only loss the last two seasons is the best team in college football right now, and they're ranked sixth. Like, what more do you want them to do? You can't change. And what people don't understand, too, is it's not like Cincinnati could go last year and be like, all right, let's change our schedule. Schedules are made three to four years in advance. So for them to even have Indiana and Notre Dame right now without even knowing they were going to be this good – and then they beat them, like, what more do you want for them? And the only reason I don't – I'm sorry to rant. I'll let you guys keep going. The only reason why I don't freak out too much about this, my Cincinnati fans like seeing fairness, is that it is the first week. So much is going to happen. So many upsets are going to happen. Some of these teams are going to go head-to-head. I think if Cincinnati wins out, and they do, they beat SMU and they beat Houston, I think there's literally no reason they can't be in the top four.
1: Um.
2: I'm just going to say a quick thing. Uh, I think it comes down to once again, money and like, does anyone really want to see Cincinnati get in there over, you know, an Ohio state? I mean, yeah, a lot of people would, but you know, you want the big name in the, in the, in the top four, like, you know, let's say Cincinnati does come out there and get shellacked, you know, it looks bad on college football and the NCAA. So I think the name, obviously, in the school, obviously has something to do with the ranking. You know what no, I mean?
0: Yeah, I agree 100%. But on that note, Gus Malzahn, coached in the, coach Cam Newton, coach Auburn, He's coached national champions. I'm not He's saying coached it's coached right. Auburn. I'm just know, saying that's, that's what I'm saying. when you have a source as reliable as him saying how, that they are legit, how do you not listen to that? How do you not – like, what? Zach, are you about to say something?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um. I think all this really shows me is that the FCS has it so right with the 18, what do they have? 18, 16 team playoff system that they have. Like
0: you run a, I think I want to say they run a 30, they do 24 round one and then the one to four seeds get a buy in each, in each division.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying they should go to that, but like, even an 18, like if you get the top eight teams, that's usually, that's your power five conference winners right there. And then you have, uh, two to three um, at-large bids.
0: And then you have a Cincinnati, like an undefeated non-power five, yeah. and then a, a Georgia runner-up, and like a Wisconsin or Penn State runner-up. Exactly.
1: You have five teams that have earned it through playing a difficult conference and making it through and holding their belt at the end of the year, and they get to play for the championship. And you have three teams that may have lost in the championship game or have worked their ass up all year that deserve the recognition to at least get a chance. Like, obviously, if you look on paper, no, I don't think – Uh, I don't think Wake Forest is going to beat UGA, Bama, Michigan State, or Oregon, but I'd at least like to see him try. I mean, I don't even – you never know what's going to happen in college football. These are all college athletes. They're still not even fully developed. Anything can happen on any given Saturday or Sunday. Um, I just think they could have done it so much better. And then also um, we talked about four head coaches on the college football playoff committee under Nick Saban. Where where's the diversity having a little more people that see, I don't know, non power five teams that play get to see how every team's competing, because I, I can tell you not everyone on that committee has seen every team play and has a proper evaluation for how those guys earn their rankings. A lot of them is just these are how the wins and losses look on paper. And this is what we think about them outside of the top 10. Like, I think they just look at teams and already have a pre um, a pre made up idea of what they want these teams to be. And they're just going to fit that role for them. And if they over-underperform, they could give a shit as long as they're not in the top four.
0: No, yeah. And and to go off of that as well, it's like you do eight, it's perfect. It's perfect. There's no arguing. There's no anything. And the thing that sucks about college football, man, is like you see in the NFL, you see a team like Green Bay, they get blown out game one. Now they're 6-1 and and they're ready to attack. If that wasn't the college football, they might not even make the playoffs. You know what? It sucks knowing that you can have one game where you don't play your best and you're still the best team in the country and you don't get the opportunity. You know, that's what sucks. And by increasing it to eight or 12, my personal opinion is best, but even eight, it gives you that, it gives you that, all right, we had a bad week one, we had a bad week two, we had an injury week five, but we were able to overcome adversity because I believe being a champion, overcoming adversity means more than winning the games you're supposed to win personally. So I personally believe, you know, and you don't get that with how it is right now. Yeah, that's, that's, that's all I had to say about on that. Uh, Moving on now to some combat sports. So we just passed UFC 267. Glover Teixeira became the light heavyweight champion of the world, beating Jan Blachowicz. Glover Teixeira, 42 years old. Uncle Dana said he's getting Jiri Prashakta. Next in line. Peter Jan defeating Corey Sandhagen, in the animus decision for the bantamweight interim belt. Islam Makachev, real deal. Submits Dan Hooker in the second minute of the fight. Kazmot, legit, beats his first ranked opponent in the first minute of the fight. Legitness. Now, what everybody and their mother has been hitting me up about to hear is UFC 268. In my opinion, the greatest MMA fight card to ever be put together to man. This Saturday, November 6th, 8 p.m. prelims, 10 p.m. pay-per-view. I think it's the best fight card ever. We get Joe Rogan back for the first time since June with Poirier, excuse me, first time since July with Poirier-McGregor trilogy. Little um, little crazy note, there. change the Gaytree chandler fight to the first fight on the pay-per-view instead of the third, so that head coach Trevor Whitman doesn't have to coach three fights in a row. It can be a lot on your mind than anyone that would know in the MMA world. Must see prelims. we got Ally Aquinta versus Bobby Green. Fights are in Madison Square Garden, New York. Ally Aquinta, New York native, real estate agent. He can't be for Khabib for the belt. He's got it all. Bobby Green tied with uh, Kevin Holland last year for most fights. I think it's going to be a war. I think it's going to be much watched watch TV. I think I'm going to go Bobby Green in a split or unanimous decision, though, personally.
2: Yeah, let me hear all your picks because I only know who two of these guys are.
0: Yeah, so next up we got a very intriguing fight for anyone that doesn't know MMA too much. We got Alex Pereira versus Andreas Michaladius, something like that, middleweight fight. For everyone that doesn't know, Israel Adesanya's only ever kickboxing loss in which he got knocked out. Was to Alex Pereira, who's making his UFC debut Saturday on the prelims? So everyone's saying, you know, this guy's – and if you watch him, he's been in glory. He's been in K-1. He's, he's fought – for people that don't know mixed martial arts, don't know fighting as well, he's fought in the NFL of kickboxing and has slaughtered everyone, okay? The man's a dog. If he can put it together in MMA, obviously, who knows? But everyone's saying that this. you want to keep good eyes on him.
2: But Justin Gaethje's pretty good. I actually know three guys, including him. Yeah,
0: so let's move on to the pay-per-view. I'm going to take Pereira on that just based off hype. So pay-per-view, we got opening fight, Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler, lightweight fight. These are two guys fought for the title and lost. Gaethje fought Khabib, lost. Michael Chandler fought. Um, uh, Brazilian man, I'm, I'm blanking out right now. Charles Oliveira and lost. They're both fighting. I'm assuming the winner of this gets a, the title shot at Poirier versus Oliveira. I'm a huge fan of both fighters, and I think this fight is what I call must-watch TV. It will be electric and somebody might die. But if I'm going with a better's heart and I'm going to go with who I legitimately think is going to win based off being a better fighter, I think Justin Gaethje takes it. That's my pick. I also think, before Zach gives his input on his pick, I also think it's better for the UFC if Justin Gaethje wins. Because I think if Michael Chandler wins... I don't think he can beat the guys at the top. I think Justin Gaethje can. I think it helps the lightweight division more. If Justin Gaethje can win, but regardless, I think Gaethje's the better overall fighter. Zach, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I love Chandler. I mean, from where the guys come from, what he's done for the sport, not just in the UFC, but um, for other fight organizations as well. I mean, the dude's a dog. I mean, just straight up beast. Um, it'll be really interesting to see um, how Chandler approaches it. I know Gaethje, the Division one wrestler, dude is a baller um on the ground but i mean the man's got hands of steel i mean you that is the last man on earth i would want to get punched in the face by i mean khabib himself said it was like fighting a man with cinder block for hands um not a guy you want to stand up and fight with it'll be interesting to see um what he does um what's oh yeah michael chandler coming off the Olivier, Olivier loss i mean he could have won it in the first round and then just ended up coming back in the second round getting things turned on him um that's just how the sport is Uh, Anything can happen on any given night. So it's not a given that either one of these fighters um, is going to walk away with the win, but there will be damage for sure. And if I had to take my pick at the end, I got to roll with Gaethje. I mean, the man's a monster. Um, I still think he's in his prime. Um, I think he's going to walk away at the end of the night with a dub on his back.
0: I think the deciding factor to
1: give a little more
0: more support to what me and Zach are saying they're both elite wrestlers. Neither one of them are taking each other down. That's a given. They're going to stand a strike. I think Gaethje's a better striker. Also, we've seen that Gaethje has a chin. He can eat a punch. Chandler has a glass jaw recently, as well as Chandler's very susceptible to leg kicks, and Gaethje has leg kicks from hell. You know, So that's why I think uh, it's going to go that way. Next big fight, we got Frankie Edgar versus Marlon Chito Vera in the Bantamweight division going to be a really another really fun every fight on this card is fun guys listen to me i'm telling you it's the greatest card ever put together it's to be a very fun super high paced in your face striking back and forth fight i just think the deciding factor is going to be the age and i think Cheeto vera is going to pull out in the third round over frank yeager as well as this 35 weight cut i think is a lot for him and i think Cheeto vera is just feeling himself his only loss is jose auto in a close fight I think Marlon Vera comes out. I think he comes out on top over Frankie Edgar in a great fight. I would not be surprised if it was a third round TKO or something that, due to the fatigue of Frankie Edgar.
1: Yeah, Cheeto's Chito, got to be a man on the mission. I'm coming to the fight. You're on one of the biggest fight cards everyone's going to be watching. you really got to show everyone that you are one of the best fighters in your division. You've got to cement yourself up there and tell everyone that I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to run through this old man and I deserve a title shot at some point. Um, as for Frankie Edgar, I mean, dude's been in this situation before. He knows what he's got to do. He's got a game plan that he's got to follow. Um, I agree with you on the age disparity. I think we're going to see it more towards the later rounds. You're going to see Cheeto going to be a little more relentless and Edgar's might be on his heels a little more. Um, it's just going to be interesting, interesting to see how Cheeto is going to bring him down. Um, most of the time, most of his, if I'm not mistaken, aren't most of his finishes. Due to submission, he likes yeah, going but to he
0: also ground. has some disgusting TKO elbows.
1: Yeah, um, I feel like his safer bet is going to be to try to bring Edgar to the ground. I mean, you're going to, if you want to gas the man out, especially with age, I think the best option is to take him to the ground. At that point, you're going to really want to get him working on the ground in the early rounds, so that way he has a hard time even standing on his feet towards the end. Um, I think I think Cheeto's got this one. If he's my he's my pick for the night.
0: I would not be surprised if Frankie won, though. I'm not I'm not bashing on not Frankie at all. here.
1: Honestly, uh, with this entire card, as confident I am with some of my picks, I would not be surprised at all if I was wrong about every single one. I mean, because yeah, totally. as confident as I am in seeing these guys, this is fighting, and everyone has a plan till you get punched in the face. So yeah.
0: And not only is it fighting, these are the best fighters in the world. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So the next fight we got on the card, Shane Burgos was Borg. Billy Quarantillo, I am a huge Burgos fan. Even when the dude loses, he wins fight of the night. Like, he's just literally so much fun to watch. Like, go, go YouTube Shane Burgos, watch any of his fights, Josh Emmett, Calvin Catter. Uh, even when he lost against Edson Barbosa, they're electric. The man is so much fun to watch. But Billy Q, the Tampa boy, baby, from Buffalo, New York, training out of Gracie, Tampa, South. The problem is with this fight is Billy Pugh's ground game is a lot better than Shane Burgos, but Burgos' striking is a lot better, and I do not see Quarantillo getting into the ground. Um, I don't want a a dog in this fight because I like both guys. I'd be very happy with either one of them winning. But giving you a prediction, what the people want to hear, I'm going to go Shane Burgos, and I think
1: he's going to finish him before the third round. Yeah, I mean, Burgos is better. I mean, it's just hard not rooting for the Tampa kid. Um you got to take the bias out of it in some way. Burgos is obviously the better all-around fighter. He's going to do what he plans to do. He obviously has bigger plans um for what he, what he wants to be in his division especially. Um just got to go out there and prove it. I think this is the best time for both these fighters to really prove something to everybody. I mean, especially for what other names are on this card. People are looking at them like who are you? Like, who are you guys? Well, this is their chance to show everyone what they've got. And I think for Burgos, there's more on the line for him. Because um, if he loses this kid, his stock's not going to look too nice. So he's got a lot riding in on this. And as for um, our Tampa boy, Billy, um, this is a chance to put Tampa on the map big time. Um, but a lot of, not a lot of known fighters coming from Tampa background. So it'll be fun to see one of our own um, make it. Um I have high hopes for him, but Burgos is a different beast right now.
0: What's going to so. be interesting, too, about this fight is the crowd environment because you got Burgos from New York. But although Billy fights out of Tampa, he is a Buffalo, New York native. So I, that, that's one reason why people were saying, you know, why isn't the Ally Quinta Bobby Green fight? Well, it's like, well, they're going to probably bring more of a draw than them. So it is going to be interesting to see who's going to have the crowd's side in that fight, I believe. But I do think, like you said, I think Burgos' overall is better and it's a safer, it's a safer grab it's it's i just think it's safer
1: and i also think um it's just a testament to how much dana respects both these fighters to put him on a main event especially when the stakes are so high like these names aren't as big as the other people on the card but dana obviously sees something in both these fighters that could bring out a show and for people to tune in so i mean if, if obviously big uncle dana's got a vision for him then i think we should take that pretty seriously
0: yeah i agree next fight the next two I feel like are just so freaking hard to talk about. You got Rose Nama Judas fighting Zhang Wei Lee for the second time. Last time they fought was also on an Usman card when he fought Jorge Masvidal for the second time. Rose Nama Judas, former world champion, was fighting Zhang Wei Lee, who was undefeated in the UFC, knocked her out first round head kick. So I'm gonna use I'm gonna say the exact same thing I said for the first fight because I still wanna stick to it. I like Rose due to the fact that she's fighting out of Onyx gym. In Colorado, with Justin Gaethje and Usman, who were both fighting on the card, and they're both peaking right now. And as someone who's fought on a card with teammates, and has wrestled in tournaments with my teammates, it—the hype and the the preparation you have in your camp, knowing that they're there with you and they're going through what you're going and they're competing with you that night—there's just a chip on your shoulder, man. Like I can go to a fight camp and have someone I really like push me, and they're there three times a week, four times a week, that's fine. But when I have someone that's, that's just engaged here, who's been doing their camp with me, fighting the same night, having their hype train with me, I just think it's I, – I I don't see Rose losing. On top of that, we've never seen Wei Li lose, so how do we know how she's going to bounce back? You know, and the crowd's going to be riding Rose. She's an American fighter. Wei Li's from China. I I don't think she finishes her this time. I think it's a 5 round unanimous decision. But I think Rose – I think Rose takes it. I think Rose is a safe bet.
1: Yeah, I like her. I was actually surprised. I was looking at um, sports betting and Rose is actually the underdog going into this fight, which I do not understand. I mean, you gotta give the credit to Wei Lee. I mean, she is a animal. I mean, she the way she fought um, even before Rose, like she is a murderer. Water. She will come out there and beat you to the ground. And I just think Rose is a better kickboxer. She's got the height, she's got the length, reach. Anything you would want, especially in a striking matchup. The only way I see, uh, winning is she's got to close the gap. She's got to be the aggressor get in Rose's face and get her on her heels. But Rose just does not fight like that. I, I, I do not think we're going to see Rose back down at all. I think she's going to stick to the game plan she had in the first fight. And I think even if she wouldn't have gotten, uh, the knockout in the first round, she was still going to stick it out and win it. Um, albeit decision, but, um, I want to stick with Rose. I'm really confident in her. I love her story, where she comes from. Got to root for her. Can't go against it. And what's
2: really cool is Yeah, going that? back to the odds. My bad. Let me just chime in here. Going back to the the odds and betting for fights. That's why it's my favorite sport to bet on, like boxing or UFC, is just because the odds are so crazy. And you could get, like, some good bets in. So, like, you think some guys are favorited, but the line will change so much. And to the hundred listeners listening, take Grayson's picks because I've taken them in the past and I've made a lot of money. And obviously, I don't know crap about the UFC. I know like the top five guys. So to the hundred listeners listening, maybe more, take his picks, get rich.
0: Hell yeah, Meech. So uh, the other thing I want to talk about, what Zach was saying with the with the Rose fight. Um, her striking's beautiful. Everything about it's beautiful. The, the fans going to be on her side. I just – dude, like, it's just so hard. Like, you watch – something that's kind of awesome, if you go back and watch, when she beat Joanna uh, for the first time, Justin Gaethje, her training teammates fighting on the card, posted a video of him driving home from the fight, and he's just bawling his eyes out because he's like – she's the hardest – Usman and, and Gaethje said she's the hardest worker at the gym, hardest puncher at the gym. Like, the amount of praise she's getting from male fighters just to show, like, she's a dog. And on top of that, if you go back and watch, you can YouTube it. She's an interview with um, either Joe or Brett Okamoto or Ail Hawani, some some high end MMA journalist. And when she's in the cage, so before she fought Lee, she stepped away for a little bit. She considered retirement, and she took some time off for her mental. So it was the first like big fight for her for a while. And she's in the cage, like extra nervous. You know, like you haven't fought in so long, and she's in like they're announcing her. And like doing her breakdown and she's, she's, uh, was going back and forth, walking back and forth. And she's saying to herself, I'm the, the I'm the best in the world. 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 I'm the world champ. She's not better than me. I'm the best in the world. And she's saying this under her breath to herself while she walks. And she was like, I had to tell myself every single second that I was the best in the world. So even when I was scared and I couldn't think about it, I still knew I was the best in the world. And that's some shit that sends some, some chills down your spine, bro. That's some shit that gets you like, whoa, you know what I mean? Like, that's some badass shit right there.
2: Do you think if you fought Rose or Whaley, Grayson, you would win?
0: I think if I fought them in the octagon, I would destroy them on pure size and brute. I think if I sparred them in the gym, they would piece me apart technically.
2: That would be a great fight. I would love to see that. What about... uh
0: So much bigger.
2: What's her name? Amanda Nunez.
0: I do I do not I don't I don't know. It's very complicated, that's complicated. She would
2: two piece me and I'd cry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I think there's a like before we talk about the main event, that's another reason why people like wonder why girl MMA fighters make equivalent pay to, to guy MMA fighters. Cause like there's no girls in the NBA that are gonna beat some really good college guys in basketball. You know, that's that's, that's not gonna happen. There's women in MMA that would sleep some dudes in the street. Like, there are women that would kill men. You know what I mean? Like, that's why it's equivalent, because they're actually as me, good.
2: No, that's – but WNBA players would scrape all of us in basketball.
0: Yeah, but they would, bro. But, like, there's there's professional fighters that wouldn't beat Valentina and, and Amanda Nunez. You know what but I mean? You're
2: saying you could?
0: I said I could beat Rose and, and the other ones. I'm saying the same size, same weight class. I'm way bigger than them.
2: Dude, that's but also
0: like they're bringing in revenue because they're knocking people out. I get that, but like I feel like when it comes to MMA, the skill level is much more equal than it is in basketball, in soccer, and softball and stuff.
2: I don't, I don't know about that, but whatever.
0: As someone that trains with girls and gets and gets peace and sparring by girls, I can say that confidently.
1: Yeah, I've been tapped out by multiple women, it's not fun. Yeah, I can I can confidently say that.
2: Not fun. wow, she grabbed your balls after
1: <laughs> nah, I was like kind Looking of like hot. A Headlock, and like you're kind of deciding whether you should like not get horny or not, so the blood doesn't rush to your head, and then like you just pass out, and it's okay. So. All
0: right, so she, the main event probably gonna
2: pussy of steel Amanda Nunez, she could just <laughs> choke you the fuck out with that thing.
0: The main event, all the marbles, what everyone and their mom, including myself, has been geeky, fangirling, hyped up about, everyone in the whole world is excited for her, is Kamara Usman versus Colby Covington 2. The biggest fight of the year. Two men that hate each other. Their first fight was electric. Five-round war until Colby broke his jaw. Two to two going into the fifth round. Talking about two men that are going to go out there and scrap. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to get a lot of hate. I'm going to get a lot of not love. A lot of disagreement. But I'm taking Colby. Unanimous decision. Five-round fight. I like Kobe Covington taking the belt from Kamara Usman, the People's Champion, America's Champion, Kobe Covington. You heard That's to do
2: you with the going. American flags and shit, and talks all this shit and gets his ass beat all the time.
0: He doesn't get his ass beat all the time, so I don't know where you heard that from,
2: dude. But I've I'm seen going. him. I'm He's to- like always trying to fight the best guys. That's the little bit I know. He's always trying to fight the best guys, and then he loses. His only, right?
0: freak, his only recent loss is Usman. And it was tied two to two going in the fifth.
2: Oh, I'm thinking of Cowboy Cerrone. I'm sorry,
0: dude. Covington. First of all, we're gonna act like you never said that. Second of all, Covington. When they fought the first time, both times, (laughs) but both times when Covington, both times when Covington rocked Usman, Usman faked an eye poke and then Usman faked a groin strike. I do think Usman is one of the best. After I think he's the best welterweight champion ever outside of GSP. But I just think I. I think if Colby niches those little things, he's at a camp that's giving his full attention. His cardio is great. He doesn't get his jaw broken. He focuses on the fight. I think, I think Colby can take it from him. I just think he's the, I think he's the perfect mismatch for Usman.
1: Um, Last two, three fights uh, Usman's had, I've gone against him every single time. And every time that man has walked away, left me in shock. Like, the way the man has progressed throughout his fighting career. Like when he came in, he was just a dominant force on the ground. And now we see through his last fight, the man can bang on his hands. Like the man will fight you standing up. And I think he's grown so much of a fighter compared as to when the last time he fought Colby, I think Colby got him. I think in the last fight, Colby had a game plan that was working against Kamaru. And obviously some things went down and left some speculation in the air, but Kamaru did break the man's jaw. Like he rocked that man. So this time around, um, we've said it before. Um, wouldn't be surprised if Colby walked away at the end of the night, to champ, but I've got to put respect on this man's name. I mean, he is the champ for a reason. He's defended it long enough for me to give him his respect. I got to roll with the champ. Um, I hope Colby will put on a show. I hope he shows that he still got it, but I, I, there is nothing that will ever make me switch my choice off of Kamaru. That man has earned it. I, he's got my respect. I've got a roll with him.
0: And, and real quick before we move on, Pod, uh, politics aside of what you think about Colby, if you like him, if you're not, you cannot argue the man's a world-class, a world-class fighter. And also, guys, it's all fake. Everything he says, it's fake. He's a WWE guy, man. He wants you to be pissed off. He wants you to hate him because that gets him more likes. It gets him more money, okay? I've met multiple people that have met him. I've met people that have trained with him. They've said he's an awesome human being. All right, guys, we're in the entertainment business. You got to have entertainment. You got to be entertaining.
1: Yeah. I think that's that's another big thing that a lot of people don't discuss is like, you're not only a fighter, you are an entertainer. It is your responsibility for getting people to watch your fights. It is your responsibility to have people tune in, your endorsement deals, getting views, getting recognition, pay per view sales. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you do not express to the world what your talents are and how you can utilize them, no one's going to give a shit about you. You've got to – I mean, I think the only expectations we'll see out of that is if your fighting is just groundbreaking like we saw out of Khabib. Khabib yeah, but even
0: Khabib took forever to get to, to his title shot in his eye yeah, Exactly.
1: If it wasn't for his unrelenting talent and just being a absolute phenom in the cage, he probably wouldn't be as big as he is right now if it wasn't for that. Colby's literally just proving that it's an entertainment business at the end of the day. Like I'm pretty sure early in his career, he was getting threatened of being cut. So you know what he did? He went out that next fight and literally talked the most shit he possibly could about his opponent. And no one really knew who Colby was, but at the end of the day, they walked away knowing they're like, this guy talks a lot of shit, but Hey, whether you like him, whether you hate him, his name is still in your mouth. You are still giving him views. The popularity popularity. He is getting in main headline segments to be talked about, whether it's good or bad at the end of the day, from Leonardo DiCaprio himself, there is no such thing as bad publicity. does not exist.
0: Even if you hate him, you're buying his pay-per-view to watch him get knocked out.
2: For the record, Cowboy, Colby, two Cs. I don't know. I won't talk UFC ever again. You're all good,
0: man. Moving on. MLB, Atlanta Braves defeat the Houston Astros in game six. Some crazy stuff. I'm going to let Zach – you know, Zach and me, you know a little more about the baseball aspect than I do, but some crazy things I want to break down before I, I let them get in the, the rock. The Braves were 44 and 45 at the All Star break, only the second team ever to win the World Series after being, having a losing record at the All Star break. They were 52 and 55 on August 1st. They were five games behind in the division. They lost three All Stars midseason. They put together a whole new outfield at the trade deadline, and they finished with the 12th best regular season record in baseball and they are the champions.
1: Yeah. um, What the Atlanta Braves did with what they had at the time is completely remarkable. Um, First, you lose your star player in Ronald Acuna, who's literally the face of the franchise and one of the best players in the major league. You go from losing him, and your first move in the main office is to um, create him in the aggregate. So they're trying to make up for what they lost from him statistically. Um, If you guys ever seen the movie Moneyball, this is exactly what this is about. They went out and got guys like Jock Peterson um, from the Cubs. They went out and got Jorge Soler from the Kansas City Royals, and they went out and got Adam Duvall. None of these three guys alone were ever going to amount what Ronald Acuna could do for your baseball team. But the fact that you can come together at the right time and in the right way to pull through for your team, that is how you win postseason baseball. What's going to win you 100 games in the regular season is not what's going to win you in a seven-game series – at the end of the year. It's just not going to happen. You've got to be playing hot baseball. You've got to be able to hit uh, with runners in sport position with two outs. You've got to do all the clutch things that matter. Statistics, the reason why they play 162 games in a baseball season is only because they need to fill out a stat sheet enough so that they know what money they're getting at the end of their contract. We saw in a 60-game season that the best teams still made the playoffs, so we can do it with a shorter season, but the reason why you have these such long seasons is – To play for the chance so at the end of the year you can make it and win it all but it all comes down to how well you're playing the braves just had it put together at the end and even without even with all their injuries even with being uh having a losing record going into the all-star break being five games back in the division they were still able to come out of that and even though this is crazy to think about the blue jays were the third ranked team in the american league east alone They didn't even make the playoffs. The Braves had two to three less wins than them and made the playoffs and won the World Series. The 107-win Giants, gone. They beat the 102-win Dodgers in the NLCS with players like Max Scherzer, Clayton, or I don't even know if Clayton's still in there, but uh, Max Scherzer, Julio Rios, Corey Seager. Like, you had a team that literally on paper was an all-star team, and they went out and won that.
2: Yeah, that's the cool thing about baseball is I think it's probably the only sport that Really, any team, like, seriously, any team can win on any given day. Like, I don't even know how to put it. Like, you'll see sometimes in spring training, mind you, it's spring training, but some, like, Division Two colleges will be MLB spring training roster guys. And, you know, there's not many sports where that would happen. Like, if you're on the same level playing in the same, you know, professional semi-pro guys, like, those guys can go out and play a game and, you know baseball is all about statistics and odds and anything can happen if you get right if you get hot at the right time just like the braves did they kind of remind me of the cubs that went on that run in 2016. it's like similar they picked up a couple guys towards the end of the year and uh went on a run but yeah that's really all it takes like the dodgers year in and year out they've i mean they finally got one last year but for many years there they were always the best team on paper even had the best record and they would you know choke in the playoffs so uh yeah that's a cool thing about baseball is that really any team can show up and win it all
0: and what's what's awesome about baseball is there's so many people that it takes to win a championship it's not like it's not like LeBron carrying the Cavaliers to a championship, or Tom Brady carrying the Bucks, or like Usman sleeping Colby off of a good punch. Like so many factors playing to winning. And the thing is, too, is like there's no there's no year in year out consistency with baseball. With with baseball, it's not like oh uh, look how good the Bucks were last year and they're returning all their players. It can you can have a team that was just your pitchers were hot one season, you were hitting everything, and the next season you have the exact same caliber guys and they're just not feeling it. So that's why I think it's really cool to see, to see something like this happen this year.
1: We have not seen a World Series team win a series and return back to the World Series in 11 years. It's been a different team win it for the last 11 years. I think the last team to do it was either the Philly or the Yankees uh, in the 08-09 season. And um, what Roland was saying, I was at the game when the Phillies played a D2 team, the University of Tampa, in baseball, and the Phillies lost to a D two team. Could you imagine if you rolled out North Dakota State to play? I don't know the fucking practice squad of the Dolphins. They would get ran through like children. It would it wouldn't even be fun to watch. It would be like watching a middle school flag football team take on IMG. Like it would be a joke. So that's what I love about baseball. It's just anything can happen. You can return the exact same roster and finish in last place compared to what you did. The year before, I think the Red Sox in 2013, 2014 and 2015 went literally last place, won the World Series, last place, won the World Series. Like that just you're never going to get that. You're not going to have bounce back and player rotations like you do in any other sport. It just doesn't happen. Still
0: on the baseball note, Buster Posey retires, legendary San Francisco Giant catcher stepping away with a point .302 at batting average, 158 home runs. Fifteen hundred career hits, NL Rookie of the Year, MVP, and three-time World Series champion. What we think about this guy?s
1: Um, you know, it was interesting. I was talking to my brother a little bit about this before we came on, and when you look at the stats, you really don't see from the stats alone that you would say this guy is a perennial Hall of Famer. No doubt about it. Um, at least not for me. Just with the average home runs and uh, hits as a catcher, but. For what Buster Posey has done defensively, despite only winning one gold glove, because he's had to compete against Yadier Molina, one of the greatest of all time, Um, the man has done so much for not only his team, but for the sport of baseball, that you cannot leave this man out of the Hall of Fame. There's no possible shot this man gets left off a ballot. And if he does, then it is a huge disgrace for what we stand for, because there are so many players that go beyond just what happens on the diamond. And we've got to be able to recognize not only talent on the field, but off the field. And I think this is one of the greatest and still could be, he could be one of the greatest ambassadors for the sport. I mean, he's his accolades alone out of college baseball at the university of Florida state. I mean, God tier, like above anyone else, one of the best college catchers we've ever seen. So um, with that being said, he's had a hell of a career Um, hate to see him go out, on a playoff loss like that, but he's done all he could for the sport. I love the guy, wishing nothing but the best in retirement. Yeah, Yeah,
2: this is crazy because I remember Buster Posey, like, as the phenom, like, coming up to the leagues. And I'm looking at his stats. He's had 1,500 hits, 302 batting average, 158 home runs. I mean, he's a catcher, so it's not like those guys are known to be, you know, Barry Bonds or anything. But – yeah, like, he's had a long, consistent career, and, yeah, I'd say he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, you'd think so. His numbers aren't, like, jaw-dropping or anything, but he still batted three oh two and had 1,500 hits, So, and p- played consistently. Like, he didn't miss games, really, you know? Um,
1: I think the only yeah. year he missed was the year um, his injury is the reason you are no longer allowed to truck catchers at home plate. Because I he knew that. That's plate. right. Uh, yeah, you're
2: right, that 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 one injury, I do remember that, but yeah. that's what I'm saying, he's had a long career besides that one freak injury, and
0: exactly, and got a ring. Like yeah, he's three of them, and that's what we were talking about uh, before the podcast, but I wanted to save the majority of the conversation for the podcast for this reason, is like, yeah, on stats, he might not be a Hall of Famer, you know, he might not be a Hall of Famer on stats, yeah, but he's the kind of guy that when he was in the game, he was a general of the field. Like the players would listen to him. When he was in the game, he, there was, he had an impact. He could change the game. Regardless of the stats, his energy, uh, the, the aura he brought, everything about him, his being a general, his being a leader, those are things that statistics can't, can't track, but that a coach and a fan and, and, and human beings and other players can notice that may, is, is the deciding factor of a Hall of Famer, in my opinion at least.
1: I mean yeah well if there's any, there any other thing i would say on the topic it's there are so many sides to sports that stats will never be able to tell you unless you've seen the game yourself unless you know what it's like playing it you'll never be able to understand some of these players impacts unless you hear it from other players themselves and um that's why I think a lot of the times we got to put a little bit more respect on what players do outside of statistics. We've got to see how they handle themselves off the field. There's a reason why we have awards for how players affect their community. I mean, um, I forget what the awards called baseball, but they literally have an award in baseball that recognize you for being the most outstanding person in your community. Um, I believe football is the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. I mean, you really get recognized for what you do off the field, and I think these um, stand testaments to who these people are, because once you become an athlete in a professional sports setting, you're not just an athlete, you're a role model to thousands or millions of people around the world. They're not just watching you for how you carry a football or how you shoot a basketball. They are literally watching you to see how you conduct yourself as a man, as a father, as a mother, like all these things are equally as important. So I think we have to pay a little bit more attention to what happens not only on the field, but off the
0: field as well. But hey, man, listen up. Thanks, Zach, for coming on today, man. We really appreciate it. Big Meach, thank you per usual. Thank you to all of our listeners. Please check us out on Instagram. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Clock's on the stove. Over now. Thank you, guys.